She has no conception of who she was, why she's back, where she came from, has no memories at all. Perhaps on some level because Jean slurped him up at the end of Inferno, <laughs> right? Jean was like, you're not going to eat these, right? These are mine? Cool. These are mine now, right? It's like your baby. I can just have these, right? <laughs> I'll so- just take it. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) Here we are back for part four. The fourth recording session. I can't remember if Threnody was four or five, but it's possible that we're hitting that. Certainly, though, this is going to be more time because they're longer sessions the reason that was so many was because jordan and i only had like an hour at a time a bunch of times (laughs) oh god can you imagine doing this one an hour at a time that would have taken a month (laughs) it would have taken as long as it took maddie Pryor to see justice for what had been done to her in (laughs) yeah the inferno so what we're here to do tonight is talk about all of the Maddie stories post-Inferno that are worth talking about. Luckily for us, there aren't very many (laughs) of them. So we're going to zip through them and then get to the Q&A because, wow, hundreds of you, and I am not exaggerating, multiple hundreds wrote in with questions about Madeline Pryor. We cannot read them all. After the mod team and I looked at the first hundred or so, I was like, we have to stop here because I have to cut myself off. They're all so good that I can't keep looking. So if you got in in that second hundred, (laughs) thank you for writing in anyway. Some of you are people who write in every week and I really appreciate it, especially because I can't read everything on the show. But your support means the world and we'll get to more on the questions when we get to the questions. But first... We're going to talk about Maddie's stories after Inferno. Obviously, since Marvel Editorial went so far out of their way to get rid of Maddie Pryor. (laughs) Just again, the fire appears behind me and I cackle because that is just, it's so uh, poetic justice somehow. Bob Harris worked his ass off to get rid of this character. So... (laughs) Uh, It took a little while for her to come back because the sands of Marvel time needed to change a little bit. Yeah. I think it's notable that she comes back when Harris is promoted from the X office to become editor-in-chief and I think is less directly supervising the X-Men line at that point (laughs) because that's 1995, right? They look away and Madeline comes right on back And she comes back right after Age of Apocalypse in X-Men. Sure does. Yeah. And what's wild about that, too, is to me, between last time we saw her and X-Man, that's a 30 year gap, right? Like in my timeline. And then you look and you're like, oh, it was like six years or whatever. Yeah, it's not actually that long. So it's complicated because, well, so here's the thing. If you're trying to find a Madeline Pryor reading order. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like this is an endless problem because... A character called Madeline Pryor reemerges in the pages of X-Men in 1995. 
X-Man is the series about Nate Gray that spins out of Age of Apocalypse, starting with number five. The Age of Apocalypse books are four-issue miniseries, but Nate Gray... Smash success. <laughs> and was always intended to come to our Earth as the transplant from that world, much like his sister Rachel is the transplant from Days of Future Past. There is... A lot of debate as to whether this character is the real Madeline Pryor because <laughs> of a retcon that happens in the final issues of X-Men in which an evil alternate Jean Grey, who calls herself the Red Queen, <laughs> explains that she replaced this Madeline at some point during the story. She then later claims that Nate never recreated Maddie at all, which doesn't make any sense and contradicts her earlier statement. So we're going to try, and I did try in the Nate Gray episode to explain my understanding of this event with huge, huge shout outs to the Marvel Universe appendix page on the Red Queen, Jean Grey of Earth, I believe 9575 or something <laughs> like that, because their theories were very similar to mine and they helped like they were like here are all the issue numbers where weird shit happens I was like thank god because x-man here's the thing guys not only does this book fucking suck which it does it just does it's really hard to get your hands on it without like resorting to unscrupulous methods because it's not well collected much like with rom the space knight i did end up at one point just scoring a big like heap of x-mans on ebay so I have the floppies and I can rifle through them, which was good because it's useful to see the letters column to see just how people were reacting to Maddie in this period. People were really excited to have her back. Yeah. And then... And then it got incestuous and weird. This was when I first discovered this character. So to me, I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, like there's a lot going on with oh. her. And yet it's kind of wild because it's like, same as before, she does these kind of horrific things. And you're still like, I kind of like her. I don't know. She shows up in this really cool bodysuit. Like she is wearing a really sexy cat suit in this. Era. Yeah. I like the design a lot. Celine. Oh God, I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> so the big thing is like when Jordan D. White, senior editor of the X office was on the pod in episode 12, he and I talked about Maddie a little bit because that was my first like real salvo as her defense attorney on this podcast anyway. He said that he prefers to just disregard any Madeline story between Inferno and Zebwell's Hellions. And I'm fine with that. The one thing that gives me pause is that I really like the Celine and Maddie stuff in X-Men. It's like the one part of this book yep. besides Threnody that I really love. Yep, yep, So yep. I want that stuff to have happened. Yeah. I also really want the cable issues the cable that tie issues. in to X-Men to have happened because we never get to talk to them like right. we never we never hear from their re weird relationship right so because i need those issues to be canon as the real madeline i need to find a path by which this madeline is the real madeline at least for a while and <laughs> upon rereading x-man and cross-referencing with our friends at the marvel universe appendix i do believe as i sort of got into in the nate gray episode that i have figured out a way to make that work but if you go to a reading order, every appearance of this character in X-Man, for instance, is not on Travis Starnes' reading order because it's all under the Red Queen Jean Grey character. 
So it can be hard to get a complete Maddie reading order with all her appearances that includes X-Man. What's annoying is that like those reading orders do include the sisterhood arc, which is the Red Queen, but we'll get there when we get there. If you're already confused, don't worry. It's very confusing. That's the name of the game. Yeah. <laughs> the reason we're going to zip is because as Jordan White said on episode 12, you truly don't have to worry about any of these stories ever again. Yeah. It can be like they never happened and it will be fine. Unless it, you're me and it turns out that this was like your introduction to a lot of this. So you're still just like. Or you're me longing for good Celine content. And this is some <laughs> of the only good Celine content She's that exists. really good. Yeah. I know. She's literally just lurking around this really nice house with like a French maid. And she and Madeline and the French maid are having lesbian sex. They are. It's not even subtle. Like they are scissor sisters in their Paris <laughs> chalet. And it yeah. is hot and fun. And it's so funny because Celine just can identify that there is somebody who would do this like in the vicinity. She can feel that a redhead capable of hosting the Phoenix Force is nearby and it just gets her soaking wet immediately. It's her secondary mutation. Oh my god. Yeah, Celine, you freak. I love her. She has such a specific fetish and I really do applaud that. It's kind of, I was like, is that also, I think it's a, it's a fetish. Weirdly kind of a link between her and Scott. Like this is yes. the one thing that Celine and Scott really have in common. It's just yeah. like, ooh, redhead, Phoenix Forest, love it. Now, in Celine's <laughs> case, she's after Scott's daughter initially. So right. thankfully he doesn't feel that way about Rachel. Yes. But yes. you know what I mean. In general, <laughs> the idea of that's my type is very funny to me. <laughs> It's really But funny. like Celine's never into Jean. She's only into Rachel and Maddie, which I think makes sense because their yeah. personalities are very different from Jean's. Like we've yeah. talked about how Rachel is much more like Scott and Maddie is just very much her own woman, as she once oh told my God. the demon Nastir, R.I.P. <laughs> it's hard to fuck with Jean too, right? Like Jean's one of Absolutely. those people who's just like very... She's so comfortable with herself a lot of the time, I think, where she's just kind of like knows she's powerful, doesn't have to worry about what people say to her. So I think she would just zip right past Celine no matter. I also think, and this is not to insult the Jean and Storm shippers because I know you, there are many of you, but Same. to me, Jean Grey is so hetero yeah. that I think Celine, it just like doesn't even ping for her. Like <laughs> all of Jean's, queer sublimated energy is like displaced onto Rachel yeah and hope frankly yeah a little bit of hope in there yeah but Maddie is very much like an 80s Claremont woman and if you told me that Maddie Pryor was bisexual I'd be like yeah obviously she's a demon queen I don't think that a Chris Claremont demon sorceress is capable of being heterosexual yeah it's like a specific class of character that he writes and they're all at least a little bit gay right and like the the overuse of the word unnatural i think <laughs> during inferno and i was like yeah something queer is going on I, the empire state building interesting to me <laughs> i also think that maddie and amanda sefton would be a hot couple now that i'm thinking about it <laughs> why did you say that now it'll never leave my brain i didn't need i mean those are two characters i would die to write together specifically because as we've discussed i think that they would have been friends oh my god yeah like with candy and maddie they were the girlfriends at that time of the x-men i think they would know each other really well when they meet again and it's like oh my god you're a witch so am i now hilarious <laughs> 
and like shenanigans could ensue. It'd be fun. So many shenanigans. <laughs> Get nastier in here. I just think it's crazy that Amanda Sefton hasn't come back yet. Like Margali Sardish is back even. And I know. Amanda hasn't come back yet. Bring Amanda back. We love it's her. It's okay if they don't because I have a pitch. So, you know. But Marvel, if you're listening. Let Connor bring Amanda Sefton <laughs> back. So here's what happens in X-Man. And we're going to zip through for the most part. We are going to talk about issue 25 because it kind of bangs. I can't <laughs> lie. It's it's yeah. all, the one where she kisses Nate. So that's crazy, but it's good. You're right. I thought that they kissed way earlier. Like I thought that they kissed at like the Swiss chalet or whatever. And like, no, they, they only don't. actually <laughs> kiss after she gets her memories back. Yeah. Even better. Which is <laughs> like, even better. <laughs> She's kind of having a nervous breakdown though. Oh, like, she so sure it's is. very, yeah. you know, Anyway, so when Nate crash lands in Switzerland through the Macron Chris, don't worry about it. This is the not an Asian apocalypse podcast. Go back to, to the Nate Gray episode if you want to know things about Nate Gray, because this is <laughs> not his episode. I'll tell yeah. you that for free. Anyway, he crash lands on Earth and he's all alone. He's like reaching out psychically for help. And a mysterious shadowy figure comes to meet him. She lowers her hood and she says, my name is Madeline Pryor, but she doesn't remember anything besides yeah. her own name. She has no conception of who she was, why she's back, where she came from, has no memories at all. Perhaps on some level because Jean slurped him up at the end of Inferno, <laughs> right? Jean was like, you're not going to eat these, right? These are mine? Cool. These are mine now, right? It's like your baby. I can just have these, right? <laughs> I'll so just take it. The thing about Jean having Madeline's memories that like is really sick to me, and we didn't really talk about this, but the thing that really bothers the shit out of me, and this is why I think Dark Web was so necessary, is the fact that Jean has Madeline's memories of being pregnant with Nathan really bothers me. It's weird stuff. I mean, that whole part, it's one of those things that I... And like, I get that Jean was violated in the first place by the creation of Madeline, but yeah. not in a way that she consciously experienced. Whereas yeah. like, Madeline carried that child for nine months and gave birth to him on the kitchen floor by herself because no one was there to help her. Yeah. And Jean got to have all that without yeah. it being her body. And I the find that heroic very side, strange. The wonderful side, but like kind of gets to skip another part. Right. She gets all of Maddie's heroic memories, but doesn't yeah. have to be the Goblin Queen. And I, I there's know. something that bugs me about it that. It kind of primordially. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's one of those things where I would have been really happy just kind of pretending it never happened, but it does come up a lot that like comes up a ton absorbed. It's part of how they justify soft retconning that Jean is Cable's mother. And Jean yeah. is Cable's mother. She adopts him. Yeah. But for new readers, that's not how it's presented by the yeah. 90s. By the 90s, the presentation is that Scott and Jean's child from the future is this character, Cable. Yeah. Part of that is eliding the fact that Jean is biologically his aunt. Like, I don't care if you're identical twins... Your DNA is never, like, even with a clone. Yeah. DNA would never be 100% identical. That's not yeah. how cloning works. Yeah. That's why you need Proteus, actually. Like, that's part of why the five create true resurrection is because an Omega-level reality warper is required to make these husks perfect replicas of the previous body. Yeah. 
Just saying. Yeah, it's rough stuff. It's kind of like, it's another one of those things where it's like, maybe not Jean's fault, but it does not be good for Madeline. No, not Jean's fault at all, but it skeeves me out. Yeah, it just does. Understandable. Maddie doesn't stay with Nate for long, which is the thing. This is why you think it happens earlier, because they're actually apart for most of the early right. run of X-Men. Yeah. By issue seven, she's, she's been seduced away Celine. by Celine. Uh, oh, my God. That's when Nate checks up with Threnody and constantly irritates the shit out of Threnody because he <laughs> wants to find Madeline Pryor. Yeah. And Threnody, first of all, knows who Madeline Pryor is because she was Sinister's monitor room girl she was yeah. sinister's maddie actually like if you yeah. think about it that's the other thing that's kind of interesting about them is that she's the one in the computer console like maddie was in the outback so she knows that madeline Pryor is like this failed experiment broodmare that sinister laughs about but she doesn't want to give that away because she doesn't want to freak nate out with like all her sinister knowledge so she keeps that to herself but She's just trying to, like, get close to this guy, and all he wants to do is talk about... Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. This woman who ran away for some yes. reason. He needs to find her. Oedipus. Our friend Oedipus over Oof. here. Celine begins training Madeline in dark sorcery. And uh, <laughs> this is why I was, I was like... It made sense that Vidayala had Ilyana train Maddie a bit in the Labors of Magic arc because Maddie hasn't had a lot of formal training. But I was like, let's not forget that Celine trained. But like, again, everybody wants to forget X-Men. Everybody so that's wants why, to like, forget this. Right. Unless, because it's like, then they have to explain. There are so many things that they have to explain if they accept that this actually happened in continuity. I also think there's no interest in Nate Gray, especially, <laughs> right? All. Like, because, I mean, well, that, I think that's why when they said, hey, we need six extra months for Hickman to get everything in place for Krakoa. Can you guys do a big event? They did an event that specifically got rid of Nate Gray. Like that was yeah. the whole thrust of the event was let's dispose of this character. Very Inferno, actually, yes, on actually, some level, right? It's very Inferno, except for Nate's hilarious idea was like, now people can't make out or whatever. And I just find because that Because be... the first time he made out, it was with, it his, was mom. with his mom. <laughs> so I guess, well, actually, he makes out with Threnody before that. But yeah. you get what I'm saying. Yeah, still, so, I mean... Still, still, if your second fuck is your mom, here, <laughs> it's probably going to leave you a little screwed up. He's like, the problem with this whole world is, is that people are always kissing all the time. <laughs> Maddie and Nate Gray never do actually have sex, though. I feel the need to stress this. They kiss a couple times, but the only one that Nate has sex with is the evil gene from the alternate Earth who is actually his mother. So Which that is like, really makes it worse. But it makes it Nate worse. Because Nate Gray, to be clear, he's like cosmically an alternate cable, but he's actually the child of Scott and Gene, created a la the Gene-geneer by AOA Sinister, like in a lab from a Petri dish. Yeah. He is not actually Maddie's child, and I think that's why they thought this was okay, because she's just his aunt. It's like very... Jon Snow, Daenerys Targaryen vibes, but like then the one First. he actually fucks <laughs> is an evil version of his mom. Yeah. I think all the drama about Jon and Daenerys is stupid in the show. I'm like, first of all, her parents were siblings. Second of all, <laughs> like <laughs> royals marry their cousins all the time Everyone's now in reality. To like that's in yeah, Game so, of Thrones. You know, so right. good luck. That's like not, I'm like, Jon is just being weird, to be perfectly honest, but whatever. <laughs> 
Uh, he was going to find something to be weird about. Well, it'll. I think it'll make more sense in the book because he'll slowly realize that she's evil. Yeah. But on the show, that happened abruptly in the span of about 10 seconds. So mm. he didn't have time to, like, have that dawning realization. Nate has to also slowly realize that, that Maddie is evil, slash Jean is evil. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Maddie's mostly with Celine. If you go back to the Threnity episode, actually, if you go to the Patreon, there's a bonus episode on the Patreon that's just like a half an hour long or something like that. Jordan Block and I did dramatic erotic readings of all the <laughs> lesbian scenes in X-Man with Celine and Maddie and the maid. And then I was like, this episode is way too long. I'm going to make this Patreon content. But it's called Vampiros Lesbos. And it's oh. a bonus episode on the Patreon. My favorite. <laughs> I love that movie. My dad yeah. oh loves my that God. movie. My dad had all these like trashy VHS tapes in his closet. And at one point when I'm like 13, I hold it up like Vampiros Lesbos, dad. And he's like, that's a classic, son. It's great. (laughs) And uh, yeah, one time I did like, I had a Hammond organ and I did like a live score to Vampiros Lesbos as a show. And it was probably the most fun I ever had in my entire life iconic dikey things you could I was wearing do. like a black dress I mean it was like <laughs> I don't even know the light kind that. of started like fritzing out so like that was fun I don't know I say everybody should watch this movie after you watch Vertigo watch Vampiros Lesbos after you read X-Men <laughs> and Black Sunday which I think is also a big influence on Celine actually oh, while we're talking sure. about like European vampire Barbara Steele right she yeah. looks like her like mm-hmm. it's like it's a lot and yeah watch all of those movies they're great Black Sunday is Mario Baba and it fucking rules so yeah. just anyway Celine is training Maddie <laughs> as her apprentice and six her on Trevor Fitzroy. Yes. Celine wants revenge on Trevor Fitzroy because Trevor Fitzroy put Celine in the spooler, if you recall, which was a horrifying torture device that she was stuck in until she tricked Amanda Sefton into taking her place for a minute <laughs> in a Chris Claremont story. Wow, such a Celine <laughs> move, truly. I know. Celine sends Madeline after Fitzroy and Maddie rocks his shit. Yeah, because Maddie, while she's amnesiac, is much more in tune instinctively with her Jean Grey powers this time around. Like the telepathy, the telekinesis, she seems to be comfortable with them in a way she wasn't circa Inferno. And I would argue because of Genosha being where they manifested. But she doesn't remember Genosha now, so they're just powers that she has, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Fitzroy then decides to throw in his lot with Celine because, yeah, if you can't beat him, join him, right? So he becomes her little bitch boy. Yeah. We don't see <laughs> what Celine does to him, but it is so horrifying that by the next issue, he is her loyal servant. Yeah. And I am obsessed with that. To be I know. By this point, the book is. This is when Terry Kavanaugh takes over, right? Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere around here. Yeah, go back to the Threnity episode for more on X-Men or the Nate Gray episode. We're not getting deep into X-Men here. I'm sorry, guys. I just can't do it. Those are both really fun episodes, so. Yeah, so Celine wants to rebuild the Hellfire Club because at this point in the chronology, we talked about this in the Sebastian Shaw episode recently with Stephen Adewell, Shinobi is leading the Hellfire Club in New York. So Celine convinces Sebastian to start up like a rival branch. And like, she's like, you and me again, Sebastian, we'll have a ball. (laughs) She goes to him and Tessa on his yacht. 
and introduces them to her candidates for the inner circle, Trevor Fitzroy and the Black Rook, Madeline Pryor. Sebastian is initially dismissive. He's like, who is this person? But when Selena's like, look deeper. And he looks, I just did an austere voice. That was not you a did, voice. but you know what? It's kind <laughs> of you know what? It works me. here now. <laughs> look deeper, Sebastian. And he does, and he sees the inferno burning in Madeline's eyes. And then he's like, erect. And this <sighs> is interesting because Sebastian is a dominant character, right? We see throughout this arc that Tessa is very disquieted by the effect that Madeline has on him. It's like this is the first woman he's ever been interested in maybe having slap him around. And I yeah. find that to be kind of fascinating throughout oh, yeah. the dynamic in this arc. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, it's the extent to which everyone doesn't give any shit about Jean Grey. Like, these are all characters that could care less about Jean Grey that are just like Madeline. <laughs> yeah, well, and Tessa, of course, much like she did with Rachel, is able to recognize the power in Madeline as being tied to, because Tessa, again, witnessed the whole Dark Phoenix thing she's like this is the same shit and she's also like that's the woman who did inferno like tessa knows who she is maddie doesn't remember who she is but tessa's like hey sebastian fyi you know <laughs> just a note just a note to test her they have her fight the red rook of the london hellfire club a warren ellis character called scribe who i'd love to see back actually at some point but i like all those london hellfire club characters oh they're fun I'm a big damask head, as we know from my guest appearance on an Age of Apocalypse episode of Battle of the Atom, yes. where I said, should be called the Age of Damask, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Damask, whenever that was brought up, it was like the same day I was on a podcast talking about Also damask. talking about Damask. <laughs> and I tweeted about it, and you were like, oh my God, I was just talking about Damask. What? And I was like, only we would do that. Yeah, that's like never going to happen in the history of mankind, other the than The synchronicity literally. of you and me... <laughs> And Damask. I mean, when I told <laughs> Zach Jenkins, who is my guest for the Nate Gray episode, so this all connects. It does. When I told Zach Jenkins on that episode that Excalibra was my favorite Age of Apocalypse mini, I'm like, Gen Next is the best one, but Excalibra is my favorite. He Fun. was like, how could that be? And I'm like, because it's all about Damask. It's who's all a about mean Damask. lady serving cunt for four <laughs> issues isn't it too the like all the gays right because you have isn't it's kane marco and destiny. destiny it's kane marco it's danny moonstar let's be honest let's be real about that and then even also deadpool the who i don't count as a gay because it's usually a joke but like he's there too you know there as well yeah 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 and then uh mystique and destiny have very salty x vibes that i am obsessed well right with. mystique is the only person who's ever seen Irene's face I know I'm just like <laughs> I don't even know it's like whatever if if only my facial expression could be heard on a podcast because I'm like also Destiny's adopted son Doug Ramsey it's like the <laughs> queerest it's so possible gay. age of apocalypse that's book. why it's the best age of apocalypse also it shows it, it begins also, with like switchback switchback has never shown up in 616 she should. She's fun. That's such Everybody's a fun power. I rewind sleeping. 10 seconds. Yeah. Oh, totally. No. And it rules in that comic. Maybe. I don't know what it is. She could do like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure shit and be like, oops, I rewound 10 seconds. You're fucked now. It would be oh fun. Oh, God. It'd be so fun. Anyway. Zach. <laughs> never you mind. We'll move on now. But the point is, 
Scribe, who is another one of the Warren Ellis London Hellfire Club characters, fights with Madeline. And Madeline realizes that Scribe is actually possessed by another entity and is able to pull the villain Mountjoy out of her body. Ah, Mountjoy. Who is Mountjoy? Do not worry about it. But Mountjoy is a cool villain who I'd like to see again. He's from Bishop's timeline and he is horrifying. And we'll so get into him probably scary. in a Bishop episode. Yeah. Whenever the fabled Bishop episode comes to pass. Waiting for that, because Mountjoy is fun and terrifying. Listen, I have a specific guest I want to get, and I've been working on it, and I'm hoping we can do it in season four. <laughs> yeah. It's like Ilyana with Leah Williams. Like, there's a specific oh, yeah. person I want to do this with, and they're busy, and we'll see. But anyway, she fucks up scribe and pulls Mountjoy out and is like what the fuck is this and like drops <laughs> him on the ground and they're very impressed so they let her in we quickly see that unbeknownst to Celine <laughs> Maddie who's very taken with Sebastian because he's very charming with her once he uh -huh. realizes how sexy and powerful she is <laughs> sneaks back onto his yacht later that night for a little bit of hanky panky fooling around <laughs> Slapping him in the face and yeah. having a great time. The more I think about this, I kind of like it for both of them because I think he needed that. Yeah, and she just loves slapping men so much that right. I'm just like, I hope that she just gets to forever. I get why Tessa's perturbed, but I also feel like if I were Tessa and Sebastian was suddenly pussy whipped by a dominatrix, I would find that funny. And it would also free up your time to do Tessa oh. stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> Think of all the internet in the sliding timescale you could like go interface with while yeah. he is getting walked around like a dog on all fours by Madeline Pryor. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but she's concerned. Celine like beep boop telepathically because Celine's like, you forgot I was a telepath. But I am. <laughs> she hops into Fitzroy and Tessa's heads and is like, hey, this Madeline and Shaw thing that's developing because eventually Shaw presents her to like the paparazzi as this is my girlfriend and they're yeah. all like oh, oh okay. this got actually way too weird for we us we don't like this at all we thought you were just doing the regular dom stuff and now it's yeah. like oh your girlfriend that's perverse <laughs> like well they're just worried it's going to like upset the power apple yeah celine is like i asked sebastian to recreate the club with me but not so that he could actually be in charge yeah and she's my apprentice He's oh, occupying her time. She's my and let's Celine's also jealous around that. Yeah. Apprentice, big my air apprentice quote. who I'm going to go have some apprenticing with. They can't say that she's mad about this, but Madeline is doing a very specific chaos bisexual thing. <laughs> and I say this with all love from my bisexual friends. Especially the chaos ones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love a chaotic bisexual. I'm just saying that she's doing a very specific thing where it's like she was hooking up with a lesbian and then this very powerful man showed up and she was like, I want that too. And Celine was like, what? Rude. <laughs> and, like, and it's a stereotype, but it's what happens in this story. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, that's the thing. We're not, this, none of this we're not is. Saying, we're not saying it's not a stereotype of bisexuals. I'm just saying it's literally what happens in this, this story. This isn't is what happens our in this story. fan fiction of this story. This is the story. If you read if the, you comic, read the comic, comic, it's literally what happens. She's like, oh, but I could go and be seen with you publicly because we would be a hot heterosexual couple. And she like is 
all into him suddenly. And Celine's like, excuse me, we just spent months in my Paris chateau. <laughs> she breaks a glass in her hand and it's <laughs> just like, right. there's like a little single drop of blood and she like looks out the window. Yeah, I love this. It's like all very, uh, yeah. You know. There's also a cool moment in the chateau where Madeline cuts her hand with a knife by accident oh. <laughs> and doesn't bleed. Yes. And is like, what does that mean, I wonder? But I they kind of like part. assuage her. The implication is like, whatever brought you back, it's not normal. Yeah. Right? Some might call it unnatural. <laughs> so eventually with all this stuff that's going on with Sebastian, I think I might even have the events kind of out of order because I think maybe this happens before he like is like, this is my girlfriend. But either way, at one point, Tessa is like, I don't like this at all. Goes into Madeline's room. This is in the annual. I think X-Men right. 96. We're in 1996 now. And futzes around in Madeline's mind telepathically. Like, let's figure out what's going on there. Tessa makes a huge miscalculation here. What she accidentally does is unlock whatever firewall was blocking off all of Madeline's memories. And Madeline <laughs> suddenly remembers everything all at once. Yes. My favorite thing about Madeline, the wild card shit that we see with her again and again, every single time she shows up, it's like, we'd better not tell her about the thing that All she that just stuff. found out about. Right, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Because the second she finds out, fuck me, fuck you. That's like very much how it goes every time. The world will burn. Yeah. She is about to kill Tessa because she's like, how <laughs> dare you? remind me of all this shit because now I'm thank fucking you miserable. Thank you and fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Fuck you. I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> and then she's like about to kill Tess and she's like, you know what? Actually, that would be a big mess for me to clean up later. So I guess I'll let you live. But now I have things to do. And she flies off into the night and she's like fully now having a nervous breakdown yeah. because she has now remembered everything that made her go crazy in the first place, yeah. including her psychotic break in Inferno and her suicide. Like yeah. she remembers all of it. The only memory she had when she was amnesiac was just Mr. Sinister is evil and I don't trust the X-Men. Yeah. Those were the two things she could remember. They were like her strongest feelings. Mine too. <laughs> And that's why Nate trusted her, because he also has a history with Mr. Sinister. He was like, oh, you hate Mr. Sinister, too? That's great. And then because she didn't trust the X-Men, he doesn't trust the X-Men. So that's like an ongoing plot in X-Men. But she didn't remember why. But now she does, and she's fucking pissed. So she goes yeah. to go find Nate now. She ends up finding Threnody in that graveyard in X-Men 25. This is where... It goes a bit awry. And this is one of the few times where I'm like, I will have to grant Madeline made a bad choice here. But I will say, Threnody strikes first. Oh, true. She does. Like, I said that in the Threnody episode. I'm like, don't electrocute Madeline Pryor and tell her she's not real. She hates that. <laughs> That's so, actually like, her specific trigger is being it's like electrocuted the specific and told she's not thing real. she hates. So, like, be careful about that, I would say. <laughs> Madeline touches down and Threnody is like, you're Madeline Pryor, the Madeline Pryor, finally sainted and descended back down from heaven above, I assume, which is a funny way to refer to Madeline Pryor. It's how oh, people usually sure talk about Jean, but Threnody yeah. is like the Madeline in this relation. Like, you know, in terms of how Nate <laughs> regards the two of them, yeah. there is no Jean. It's like Madeline's the Jean to Threnody. Threnody is getting information from Sinister. So to right. her, yeah. Calls her the one that got away. Madeline is like, please, Threnody, take me to him because she can instinctively read in Threnody's mind that she knows Nate. 
And Threnny refuses, and Madeline reaches out and taps her on the shoulder and says, You don't understand. I helped him when he needed me. Now I need Nate. Tell it to the executioner, Red. You really shouldn't go touching people you don't know very well. You never know where they've been or what you might catch. Clone. And then Threnny <laughs> spins on her. We didn't get into the actual dialogue in the Threnny episode. Talk shit, get hit, is what happens here, because Threnny does talk a lot of shit in this moment. Yeah, I know more than you think about your so-called life, Maddie. I know you're a cheap carbon copy of some ex-witch. You were bred to breed, nothing more. I know you suffered delusions of grandeur somewhere along the way, made a bid for power as some kind of goblin queen, and paid for it with your life. I got to know all about you after I became a watchdog on the world. For all Mr. Sinister himself, your creator. So you thought to scare me with his name, I guess. Hoping to evoke some primal fear of the mad doctor who tried to use me to pillage the Summers family tree? Sorry, child. I'm a new woman now. <laughs> Her dialogue remains top-notch, even in the worst of times. With my eye on a whole new prize. And we cut to Nate Gray, who's thinking about Threndy and like, <laughs> why have I left Threndy behind? Because yeah. Threndy's addiction arc is now taking off. Again, go back to the Threndy episode. I'm sure you've heard it if you're a listener of this podcast, because it's a really great episode. Yes. I'm just saying. And to be clear, when Threndy was talking all that shit, she had grabbed Madeline's wrist and was electrocuting her with necroplasmic death energy. So like she did attack Madeline. Suddenly, Threnny recoils because something about interfacing with Madeline has freaked her out. And she says, too much, way too much. Even in this boneyard, your scent stands out. You positively reek of death, lady. You're still dead. And Threnny would know, cursed as she is, with a mutant thirst for the energies released at life's end. Even if Madeline would rather not. And Madeline clutches the hand that Threnity was shocking and says, no, 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 no. I breathe, I think, I feel, I've got power, and I most certainly live. Threnity is then lifted into the air telekinetically. She has really triggered Madeline here in a way that is inadvisable. And, you know, I'm not saying Maddie's right, because she's not, but... Mistakes were made here, I think, in terms of how Threnity approached the situation. Yeah, yeah well, Threnity definitely learns, right? She's just yeah. like, oh, whoa, that was... Maddie turns on her and rips off the power suppressors that Sinister has attached to her face. And it causes a huge explosion that kills Threnity, or at least, like, leaves her for dead. Because right. whether Threnity is actually dead is, like, very... I think she dies and then resurrects herself, but it's not a thousand percent clear exactly what happens. It's the thing, right? You want to hear so much more about how Threnody's power is. I want to know more about Threnody always. That's why one of the longest yeah. episodes of this podcast is about this bitch who has 33 appearances, but I fucking love her, so I want to know rules. more. rules, yeah. And this is a tough issue for me because it's like yeah. two characters I adore who are both so wronged by their narratives yeah. coming to blows in a way where I'm like, ladies, you should be besties. This shouldn't <laughs> be happening you are both so wronged by mr sinister both of you like yeah. you should be best friends but yeah unfortunately nate gray just screws everything <laughs> up again and again every time nate gray like flies in the man who fell to earth he like there's like an indie rock song playing and he's got like a very like the crow vibe where he's like hey can't rain all the time and then he like kicks his head over like kind of like uh and like floppy hair everywhere and they're just like um i guess we'll fight about this like 
All that power of yours you were so afraid of, kiddo. Those swelling, surging waves of plasmic death energies constantly battering the shores of your sanity, pounding to escape. All here in the palm of my hand. I've seen worse, you know. Tell you the truth, Thren. <laughs> I've done worse. About Nate, by the way? Never mind. And she drops Threnity to the ground, smoking. It's too late now. And with this last dark deed behind her, Madeline Pryor, whatever she may prove to be, is well and truly reborn in blood and thunder once more. A thunder that has just begun to rumble across the psionic plane, around the entire world. And this panel, which is crazy, is Cable looking unbelievably sexy, shirtless in a shower. Yeah. He's naked, presumably. We only see him from tits up. But it's like his heaving, hairy tits as he takes a shower and looks up like, huh? <laughs> Giving men and mutants of power and personal affinity to her pause to shudder with dread. And the next panel is Havoc and Shiver with Anticipation. <laughs> and the fact that there's no payoff for that drives me crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This era really is that. It's all good ideas. There's so but many good ideas. She and Havoc never cross paths. And then you, it's like, you, especially with her, it's just like the ball dropped many, many times. Kind of same with Thrinity, right? I said in the Nate Gray episode that I think at some point an editor, maybe even Bob Harris, was like, what the fuck is going on over there? <laughs> like, because... <laughs> the incest vibe is so crazy in X-Men. And it's like, immediate. Like, and it's constant. And it never ends. Nate wants to fuck her so bad. Yeah. And then he like blinds himself because it's like Oedipus. Right? Yeah. Because literally know. Oedipus. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. He wanders the countryside. Yeah. It's um, it is very Oedipus. Yeah. Anyway, she's like high on this power but it doesn't last long and eventually she crash lands in the alps sobbing yep as always it seems her shadow precedes her dimming the cold harsh glare of these solitary swiss alps this lonely landscape where her latest memories began and where it all started again for madeline Pryor, where ice burns like fire i did die above the streets of new york who knows how long ago <laughs> sliding time scale <laughs> At the hands of my friends, the X-Men, in the arms of that witch, even if I never truly lived at all, I surely died. Great dialogue. Great dialogue. Every time it writes itself. How? How can this be happening again? Is this my destiny? My eternal damnation? The fate of some unforgiven orphan of nature who no creature of heaven or hell will have? Sinister birthed me from her cells, her precious DNA out of need for our body. And I love the use of our there. <laughs> I actually. love the use of my precious DNA. That's like the, I know, right? the most hilarious thing. We're getting a flashback sequence here because it's been, again, like seven, seven years, years. And so yeah. they're catching you up in case you didn't read Inferno. The eternal Phoenix entity itself baptized me, promising soul. And Scott Summers gave me heart. The baby, our innocent little Nathan Christopher, completed the circle so perfectly, it hurt. Hurt so much more when she came back, though. When she tried to take it all away for herself. When my husband and son both turned to her, to her, over me. I was almost glad when it ended. You see Jean cradling Madeline's corpse. 
Almost. But it had ended, no doubt about that anymore. I was dead, drowned in darkness and despair. And then I was in Switzerland. Montreal, as I recall, in a mountain cabin staring straight into the eyes of the light at the end of the tunnel. Nate? And she wakes up and Nate has found her in the snow and has brought her inside. That is when suddenly she pulls him to her and they start making out. And it's like, mm, like they, there's like and sound wrong. effects and everything. The sound effects I think are like not even wah or anything, but they're like an, mm, like with like an H at the end. Right. And, and what I love like, is the second mm. it happens, there's suddenly a telepathic message that says, Stop. no, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's Jean. Who yeah. has shown up because she has sensed the reawakening of Madeline Pryor. Yeah, she senses the reawakening of Madeline Pryor and she's like, all right, I'm here. And Maddie goes, not her, <laughs> and charges out to go fight her. And Nate is very confused. Nate hates the fucking X-Men, but he's confused yeah. by what's going on here. He's very startled when Jean Grey shows up and is identical to Madeline Pryor, which is not something he was aware of, right? It's a reveal to Oedipus, too. Jean, by the way, throughout this storyline, is being manipulated by Madame Sanctity, a completely insane character who I will one day cover on a Cerebro Appendix Patreon episode because I don't know that she has a full... Well, she, she probably does have a full zoning, but I don't know that she has, like... They're, like, one page. Yeah, that's a character who's, like, what? Yeah. Also never really goes anywhere, but is super fun. Go back to the Strife episode for more on Madame Sanctity. I put her in the cover art for that because I was like, when is Tanya Trask going to get her own episode but now that i'm doing the appendix you never know anyway gene looks up as madeline whose cat suit is tattered and torn now in kind of a goblin queeny way says penny for your thoughts genie you it really is you madeline Pryor, and gene gray together again confused gene sudden doubts about what this means for you and scotty for your cozy little marriage maybe in the wake of my wake no fear, girlfriend. Not about that, at least. Her fist is illuminated in green flame. Been there, done that. And his little brother, too. Okay. My yeah. Line. Oh my God. <laughs> like. Like, I, that's the thing. She's Maddie. This issue, it's like she, sure, she kisses Nate, but this is Maddie. But you can tell that, like, Terry Kavanaugh went back and reread Inferno because yeah. she talks like Claremont's Maddie. Those, like, top notch one liners, just that are, like, relentless. And also, Wheezy's Maddie. Like, yeah. you know, we were kind of like, Wheezy, no, during the Inferno <laughs> segment. But as we kept pointing out, Wheezy's Maddie is the one that's really funny. Yeah, like, yeah, she's yeah. just so mean, but in a very funny way. <laughs> yeah. Nate grabs Madeline's fist and stops her. And then he and Jean commune. Jean explains what Madeline's actual deal is. Listen, before you do anything, Nate, before you make any decisions, you have to know what she is. We have to know. There's so much more going on here than any of us understand yet. Yada, 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 yada. I have to believe she can't close her mind to the two of us together. Jean reaches out her hand to Nate and Madeline says telepathically, don't bet your life on it, Sal, which kills <laughs> me. Good God. <laughs> Fine, Nate. Take her side already. They all do eventually. <laughs> Men, boys, ex or otherwise, are still just pawns to you, aren't they, Jeannie? 
We're all your little playthings here, right? Don't even bother denying it. <laughs> I am you, remember? And I know you better than you know yourself by now. I've lived the darker side of us. A side of you that you won't even consider indulging. You want to know what I'm all about, sister? Come on in and see for yourself. And she lets Jean into her head. Yeah, this rules. But it's like the end of Inferno and they're like wrestling kind of and like grappling and it's like, I'll kill you or whatever. But this is where... Jean figures out how this Madeline was created, which is that when Nate crash landed on Earth, he reached out for his mother, Jean Grey, and found the pieces of Madeline that remained shattered on the astral plane after Inferno and reconstituted them into a ghost that he gave physical form. Yeah, so like the writer knows what they're putting into this comic. Oh, I think yeah. that people no, are not. like, maybe they didn't know. No, they know. Like, no, no, they, they know. know. <laughs> they know. He turns on her, and Madeline is truly horrified and shocked about this because Nate tries to unmake her. Here's where I will give Jean some credit. <laughs> Nate says, Madeline was originally a tool of Sinister's gene, another one, another who suffered for his sins until she died and finally found some measure of peace. Then I brought her back when I first crashed down on this earth all those months ago. So exhausted, disoriented, still in shock, I just reached out for comfort and you. I was trying to reach out to you subconsciously, to the memory of you from my home world. And Madeline was the result. I unknowingly brought her back to life, psionically recreated her, and he starts crying. And if that's all she is, just a psionic shell of a person, I can uncreate her, release her from this hell I made for her. Uh, I can take it all back again. And Jean reaches out and says, no, Nate, like, stop. Like, don't do that. <laughs> Whoa. It doesn't have to be this way. There's so much more we don't know about her, don't understand yet. Just because she scares you suddenly because you're not sure how to deal with the consequences of her conception, what it means about the nature of your own power, the magnitude of it all, you still don't have the right to just strip it all away again. Sounds like Jean is talking to herself a little bit in this. But That's the thing. But also I'm like, good. okay, but this means that Jean has thought about Maddie a lot in the yeah. time since Inferno, which is not something we've seen on the page. It's nice to see it. Yes. Like I was saying, fuck you, Jean. She was a real person. She wasn't just a lie during Inferno. And it's clear that in the time since, Jean has also come to that conclusion. Yeah, Jean's like, don't unmake her. That's wild. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. That's wait. like murder, buddy. Like, yeah. chilled. Nate tries to do it anyway. Yeah, like a punk. And it doesn't work. And he says, something's wrong. Something's happening. A lot of things wrong. She's resistant, struggling to retain the life forces. She wants to live. And Madeline's eyes go demonic red. It's a close-up on them. And she says... I, I do, do live. live. Yes, yes. Thanks for caring, Nate, and thanks for trying. But I won't be needing your power anymore. It's all yours again, pal. And she zaps him full of all his power. I'm a free agent now, finally, independent of you. Jean cries out, Madeline, wait, wait. Opens up whole new doors, don't you think? Whole new worlds of possibilities and raises so many more questions without answers. What am I that I can do this, Nate? What am I that you could do this? And she teleports away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fucking 
metal. Like everything leading into it, not great. But then once you get there, you're like, damn, this is somebody who did the thing that we wanted to see with Madeline. Madeline Praya did the thing like (laughs) 1000%. That, for people who are listening, 20 years hence, hopefully, is a reference to Ariana DeBose's performance at the BAFTAs. Look up Angela Bassett did the thing yes. on Know Your Meme or whatever. You'll yes. find it. Celine Gallo, my woman king. No, but the point is, <laughs> she teleports away. And toward the end of the issue, we see Sebastian Shaw looking luscious and sexy. <laughs> he just does in this story. I'm sorry. He's asleep on his yacht, naked in his huge yeah. bed. And Maddie shows up suddenly, like teleports into the yacht. And he's like, Madeline? And she's like, no words, Sebastian, not until morning. And starts unzipping her cat suit, which I'm like, okay, bitch. She's like, I'm in now. Fuck you. And I think this is when they announce that they're like a couple. And Celine telepathically is like, Tessa Fitzroy, I don't like this at all. <laughs> but that plot then never goes anywhere, unfortunately. Oh, I know. Yeah, the thing I always respect about Madeline is she's just like, everything's fucked, I'm getting mine. That's just kind of the vibe, and if it's Shaw, so be it. Around this time is when she pops up in Cable 44. This is by James Robinson at this point. Incredible writer, for the most part. I would say I really love a lot of his stuff. I don't love that Scarlet Witch solo he did, as I've talked about in the show previously. And uh, I certainly didn't love Cry for Justice, but I think that was really an editorial thing more than it was him. Overall, though, he's great. His run on Starman is incredible. Like Mm -hmm. He's just like a really great. He's writing Cable at this moment. This is Cable 44, and it has a really incredible cover. Yeah. Madeline in a new outfit with kind of like a pink corsetry thing over a black bodysuit is reaching out to Cable and says, Sins of the mother! At long last, (laughs) the Ascani son comes face to face with Madeline Pryor. Yeah. This issue's great. The best one is the Joe Pruitt issue 76. But there's two Maddie issues of Cable that are also great that are written by James Robinson. Cable is meditating and suddenly wakes up in a cage on the astral plane with a woman he thinks is Jean Grey. Yeah. And he's like, is it? Is it? And she goes, Jean Grey? No. (laughs) Though I'm sorry to say it. For perhaps if it was, I'd be better assured of my welcome. And you welcoming me warmly means so much. So he's in a cage. Um, and <laughs> with like, like the smallest cage. Because you're all the Summers men. In That's, this I mean, yeah, I'm really channeling my Summers man. And it's making me feel like I should marry somebody and abandon them. Um, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> then who? The name is Madeline Pryor, Nate. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> Madeline Pryor? But you died. Yes, well, I'm sure you've noticed how in our world that can at best be temporary. I'm back, Nathan, and I have another name, you know. A name you and you alone can call me. You mean mother? Son. It's good to see you again. For the first time. I can't say it's good to see you. Why are we here? Where are we? What's the last thing you remember? At the Xavier Institute, I was meditating. Then we see Gene and Scott and Gene's like, he won't wake up. And like, we find out because they figure out pretty quickly that it must be Madeline. And Gene is like, we meant to tell him that Madeline had come back from the dead. We just didn't get around to it. And this is like just a very, 
I have friends who are adopted and I feel like this is something that happens a lot where it's like, we just didn't know what the right time would be. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the vibe of this issue. It's yeah. like the right time would have been your demon sorceress mother is back from the dead. We just found out. Yeah. Just FYI. But they have not told Cable yet. <laughs> when we flash back to them, Madeline says, I entered your mind while you had it open in the meditative state. Oh, and I shut the door after me so no one else can enter and interrupt our reunion. We're on the astral plane. And hilariously, Cable's like, the astral plane? Yes, you know, the realm of pure thought that can link every mind on Earth, accessible to telepaths such as ourselves. Wait around long enough and we'll probably see Dr. Strange fly by. That astral plane, which that's funny to me. <laughs> I mean, that, come that on. Maddie's just like, you know that motherfucker. <laughs> Within it, we can jump from location to location, site to site. Why? I want to show you my life, Nathan. I want to show you our life, what little of it we had together. And perhaps I can convince you why we should remain together now. This is where it began. Sinister's laboratory on the outskirts of London, whereas a man named Nathaniel Essex, he tampered with the very laws of nature and creation. Are we alone? I'm sure Sinister would rather die than return to this place of heartbreak. Don't worry, this has been deserted for more than a century. Oh, did I forget to mention the guard that Sinister left behind? One of his earlier failed experiments in genetics. And they're attacked by a monster who looks kind of like Doomsday from DC. Yeah, actually. a little bit, yeah. Well, my son, what are you waiting for? Aren't you going to protect your mother? And there's a big fight scene where Cable fights the demon. But then suddenly, as he's killing it, he realizes it isn't real. Yeah, he goes, nothing. There's nothing there. When did you realize? Before I drew the knife across his throat, I scanned his brain. He didn't have one. You tricked me. No, I tested you. I wanted to know how far you'd go for me. I wanted to know if you cared enough to fight for me. And now you do? Congratulations. Next time, why not just ask me? I'm sick of this place. So am I. Come, Nathan, let's take a walk. Earlier you said that this lab was where everything began. In that temple of decay... What did you mean by that? Where what began? Me? You? In a way, yes. It was in that shadowy edifice that a brilliant geneticist became the madman known as Sinister. This is where Nathaniel Essex worked in despair. His theories about evolution were mocked, reviled by the scientific community he so wanted to impress. Is it any wonder he fell under the influence of the immortal apocalypse, who gave him the knowledge and power to transform himself? He became Mr. Sinister. One can only guess at why he would choose such a puerile moniker, but in 1859, when he coined it, I'm sure it seemed the height of cutting edge. I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, you are dragging drag the shit out of this man. His science certainly was. Yes, it was in that dank lair when he took that first faltering step on the twisted path that led to him creating us. And it was a place of heartbreak. His research cost him his wife, his unborn child. So this is after the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix have given us Sinister's backstory. What I find interesting here is that clearly what Madeline's been doing on the astral plane since getting her memories back, besides spying on Doctor Strange and being like, what a freak, <laughs> is finding out everything she can about Mr. Sinister. Yeah. She knows shit that the other characters don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this part. This is really fun. This whole conversation between them, yes, Cable is still just being a, a true Summers man and being like, what? What's happening? 
<laughs> and again, for people who haven't read this, this is Cable Volume 1, Issue 44. It's great. You're going to find it for like a quarter in a box. You'll you find know? it for literally a quarter in a box yeah. somewhere, and it's worth it. It seems that all advancement comes at a cost. Look at us. All we've lost, and we were but pawns in the game. How so, Madeline? Sinister, obsessed with the summer's bloodline and its genetic potential, endeavored to create the ultimate example of Homo Superior, the weapon he could use to annihilate a master he could no longer abide. The Supreme Mutant. You, my son. Sinister was patient. He waited. He selected the pieces of his puzzle over a century's time. Scott Summers and Jean Grey. But when Jean Grey seemingly perished, he had to settle for a clone to breed with Summers. I was the result. Human, and yet a ghost of humanity. He gave me false memories, made me believe in the lie that was Madeline Pryor. He made me meet Scott. We fell in love. And then there was you. His aim was to create a being who could destroy the millennia-old mutant apocalypse. That is your mission in this present time, I'm guessing. Am I right? My mission is my business. No one else's. My point is that at least you were conceived for a purpose. I was merely breeding chattel. A peace and sinister scheme, but not the glorious end result of anything. Do you realize you share a similar first name with Sinister? He may have even planted the suggestion in my mind to call you that as some sort of twisted tribute to himself. So even there, the naming of my son, I was doing Sinister's bidding. But if we were united again, mother and son, then I feel my life would have meaning. I would be in control of my destiny, and I could share that destiny with the only one in all the world who could possibly understand. I need that, Nathan. Can you help me? That's a sad story, Madeline. I won't deny it. But a lot of people have bad beginnings. My own was no children's happy story tell. I can't feel pity for you, not after all the pain you've caused. Well, perhaps you should try harder. <laughs> this was my kindergarten. This was my school. This was my life. Look around you. This is Sinister's modern laboratory beneath the state home for foundlings in Nebraska, where I was cloned from the cells of Jean Grey. At least you know I am your mother. You know Summers is your father. Who were my parents? Chemicals and test tubes? What of your childhood could possibly compare? And he kind of smiles and goes, you have no idea. By the time I was 14, I had gone into combat over a hundred times. I had fought in the war of the East Velt and had been one of the 10 to survive out of 10,000. It doesn't seem there was a day I didn't know the heat of some kind of battle. Ah, well... Perhaps we should get away from the heat altogether. Just give me a moment to telekinetically rearrange the molecules of my clothing. Outside in the physical world, we see Jean trying to wake him up. This is, I think, when... The, I, I only screen cap the pages with Madeline, but I think this is when Jean's like, we really probably should have told him that his mom was alive. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott is like, I guess. I suppose. And this is, again, like, this is where I soften on Jean and Madeline. Like, when we get to Dark Web, we can talk about this. I don't agree with one of the choices that Jerry made in Dark Web, but overall, the idea that Jean has become sympathetic to Madeline is something I do absolutely believe happens yeah. in the years following Inferno. And yeah. this is how you see that, is through these cable issues. And in a way that we don't really see from Scott, you know, like... Scott has to believe that she's just a demonic whore of yeah. Babylon because that's the only way that his actions are acceptable, right? Yeah. 
Anyway, this is when Madeline, she was wearing like a sort of a version of the Goblin Queen costume that was Hellfire themed with like kind of a gold Hellfire brooch instead of the gold Goblin Queen brooch. And it had pants instead of like just the loincloth, but it had the underboob silhouette. Now, this is when she puts on the pink corseted kind of padded outfit because they are on a snowy mountaintop that we recognize as the home outside anchorage that Scott and Madeline once shared, if we are people who have read the Claremont stuff. This is where I was happiest. I think in our world, being happy equals being normal. And I lived here at the time when I thought I was. When I met Scott and entered his life, one where he and his beloved X-Men would routinely risk their lives for this hateful planet, I was terrified. I tried not to show it, but with each crazy event, I wanted to run away screaming. But I loved him so, your father. I was brave for him. When we married, I was... It was the happiest day. And then we had you, my son. We were a couple and baby makes three here in Alaska, away from the madness. There's a silent panel that's yes. really beautiful. Yes. Where she and Cable both just stare at the house. Yeah, I love the art in this. And I love the, like, all of it. The colors, everything. It's this beautiful. Is beautiful. Who drew this? I'm going to check. Good question. This I is gorgeous. Forget. Cable volume 140. Oh, it's like three different artists or something. It's Randy Green and Alan M. So I don't know who penciled sure. which pages. And then, like, there's two inkers. It's like, this is a very 90s. There's like 60 people credited. Yeah, this 60 people did it. But it's absolutely great. Anyway, after the moment where they stare at the house, Cable says... It's quiet here. You like that? The quiet? I've never truly known it. So what took you back to the world you'd fled? Your father. He returned to his kind when they needed him. He betrayed me, my love for him. It wasn't duty? It wasn't that he had to? Perhaps, yes. Perhaps he did return to the madness out of duty. But in doing so, he made a choice. He chose the X-Men and Jean Grey over me. Come, this place made me content, but now I'm sad. Where are we going next? From peace and quiet to the one place that never is. New York? The top of the Empire State Building. Because that's where they are now. We see that Baxter Building. We do. That's a fun bit in the background here that the Fantastic Four's Baxter building is there in the skyline. Yeah. I like it. But they're at the top of the Empire State Building and Cable continues. I hate this city. So do I. Why do you hate it so? I enjoy reading the sacred texts that were lost in the future that I returned from. The Quran, Buddhist scriptures, and of course, the Bible. The Bible describes the Tower of Babel when God decided that the world should have many languages. Everyone in the tower began speaking differently. No one understood anyone else. There was confusion and fear. That is how I regard New York, where no one takes the time to listen and understand. My reason for despising the city is far more simple. I died here. This is where Jean Grey killed me. Well, you were trying to turn Manhattan into hell on earth at the time by sacrificing me, mother. <laughs> really good line it's pretty good <laughs> it's pretty good the tower of babel metaphor that he's making is also key because in the inferno story nasir explicitly yes bids madeline to turn the empire state building into a new tower of babel like that's what's going on in yes that story. 
he's like a tower that will reach heaven and shame God or whatever. Yes. I forget exactly what he said, but go back to last session. <laughs> oh my God. So anyway, Cable continues. And from what I've been told, you brought about your own destruction. Jean was trying desperately to save you. That's what they would tell you. That's just the kind of lie they'd say. No, I was struck down by the X-Men's treachery. Why can't you see they're evil, my son? They claim to want peace and to end persecution for their own mutant kind. Don't you see the madness in their world? All the innocents who die by the roadside of their endeavors? Their evil is a subtle one, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be stopped. Evil? You think what the X-Men do is evil? I've said it before and I say it now. You have no idea. And then he pushes her off of the Empire State. And he pushes his mom over the railing to fall down and down and down and down. And when they land, they are in Cable's future outside Apocalypse's stronghold. This is evil. Apocalypse's lair in the remote desert of Egypt, a stone's throw from the village once called Akaba. You talk of the X-Men's noble efforts as if they were some insidious thing. But this, the work of an immortal madman, is far more vile. Though he is gone from here, the place still reeks of his dark soul. He is the one I'm sworn to defeat. Perhaps not in the manner that you may think, but it is still a task that requires all my attention. That is my quest, my goal. You, Madeline, you don't even truly exist. Always a mistake. Don't say that to Madeline Pryor. And why do people keep saying it? That's kind of the thing. Like, (laughs) there, you know, a lot of clones, Cable. Maybe you need to chill on this shit. In his future, cloning isn't even weird. The Ascani do it all the time. Like, come on. Like, Rachel's cool with it. Why can't you be? That's where Strife came from. That's where Strife came from. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Cable thinks that was a bad decision. Probably. Sure, so, sure, you know. sure. Anyway, Cable continues. I'm sorry, Sarah, please keep going. <laughs> You're all the misery and the misfortune that the real Madeline endured, given a semblance of life. All the things that keep Madeline's soul from being at rest. I can never be yours. But together, we could destroy all of mutant kind. Everything that wasn't normal and safe, everything that made Scott Summers desert me, we could destroy them all. The X-Men, Sinister, even Apocalypse. You said you were sworn to defeat Apocalypse, but you've been here from the future for years. Why haven't you killed him yet? What stopped you all this time? And here's the thing, even whenever you're from the future, you're grizzled, you've been to a million wars, you're still a Summers boy, and you're still gonna do a steely gaze. Completely silent panel of brooding into the distance. Yeah, instead of answering a very direct question. (laughs) Together, there would be nothing that could stop you. And we could rise from that destruction to rule the two of us, mother and son, two outsiders who will never truly belong here. You call mutants evil, Madeline, but you forget one thing. I am a mutant. And although in another life you were my mother by blood, I can never see you in that light. There is another who I remember from my earliest recollections. And of course, we're talking about Red, right? Mm-hmm. One whose example showed me that identity is determined by action, not birthright. Don't say it, Nathan. Please. The one woman that you probably hate above all. Jean Grey. 
Is this your doing, Nathan? Because Jean has suddenly appeared on a screen <laughs> in their astral mind space. Because Jean's been trying to get in there for a while now, like the whole issue. Yeah, she's like, hey, seems suspect. And he smiles up at Jean. And then turns to Madeline and says, No, but I think it's the reason I was suddenly able to transport us here. Your power is weakening. Jean is breaking through. One final time, Nathan, I'm begging you, come with me. No, Madeline. Never. And you care nothing for me? And of course, Silent brooding, brooding panel first. <laughs> and then he says, Alaska, where you knew happiness and I found a moment of peace. The cabin there. That shall be our neutral territory. Our place. To meet if we ever need to. I suppose that's something. But know that you're wrong about me, Nathan. I am real. And in time, I will prove it. Maybe. But if you threaten innocent lives, including the X-Men, know that I'll fight you as hard as I'd oppose any enemy. Jean will be completely through soon. You should go. Yes. Farewell, Nathan Summers. My son. Brooding, brooding, brooding. Brooding, brooding. <laughs> she's brooding, smiling. And then she's gone. And Nate wakes up. It's Nate. He's waking up. You did it, Jean. Just so excited to praise Jean, isn't he? Yes. And Jean says, are you all right, Nathan? A little dazed, but otherwise intact, Jean. It feels good, better than he'd ever admit, to wake and find them there, caring and protecting, like they did long ago in a time that is yet to be. Days of Future Past. We're Not talking days about... Future Past, but that's what <laughs> the phrase means. And for the moment, Cable is that boy again. The nightmare terrors are gone, and his parents hold him. Nate, was it Madeline? It was part of her, Scott. A revenant that has yet to find peace. Is there anything that could be done for her? Only what we do for each other. <laughs> and like, I cannot stop smiling at this panel. It's just like, family. A hand offered in friendship. Or a strong set of shoulders to lean on. <laughs> And Cable, it needs to be said, is so much older and bigger and sexier than his parents in this panel that the strong set of shoulders is his. And that's what's funny. I'm trying so hard to be like grizzled and like literally my voice goes like whenever I start to do this scene because he's so happy. Ultimately, we may never fully understand her rebirth. We can only hope that eventually she'll be at rest. And that's nice. Aw, I mean, like, come on. And that's even Scott being like, can we help her somehow? Yeah. And that's nice. Like, thank God, Scott. Reading this in the 90s, I was like, maybe she'll be okay. Like, yeah. maybe they'll help her. And then that was yeah, not that was It was simply not to be. Simply not to be. So... Time passes. <laughs> yeah, time passes. This is the period again where like Maddie and Shaw are out on the town and Tessa and Celine are pissed about it and whatever. Then Cable 50 happens, which is six issues later. Cable and Irene Merriweather are in New York. Who's Irene Merriweather? Don't worry about it. She's dead, so it's fine. <laughs> you won't actually ever have to worry about her probably, which is a shame. But yeah. I get that, like, she was a loose end. Yep. She was the reporter. Actually, we talked about her in the Shaw episode. She's, like, sort of a Lois Lane-type character who's in the Cable solo a lot. Anyway, they're talking about all kinds of things, and she's like, Zurich, here we come. And suddenly a voice from off screen says, no, I think your destination should be London. Who? That voice. 
Madeline Pryor. Relax, Nathan. I come not as your enemy. Here I wanted to say the outfit is different. It's the Goblin Queen outfit, but where she used to be naked, there's now a pink undersuit under the black. But they still draw the belly button. <laughs> yes. Yes. Some editor was like, no, 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 too nude. Yeah, yeah. It looks good. She looks good. She looks great. If you look at the TikTok about Cable and Madeline and Scott on the astral plane that Krakoa Welcomes did on the Cerebrocast TikTok, (laughs) you will see this outfit at one point. Yes. All right. But anyway, so he says, We already talked this through, Madeline. You may be my mother, but I'm not your ally. I never will be. Perhaps you don't have a choice. Not this time. Sebastian Shaw intends to unleash a destructive device. An old toy of Apocalypse is left in the care of the inner circle of the Hellfire Club. He feels it will lead him to Apocalypse and enable him to harness his might. But the byproduct may well be the destruction of London and a lot more. And our friend says, Irene Merriweather says, And why are you telling us? (laughs) I am speaking to my son, cow. Oh, okay. (laughs) Madeline, here we are. Sorry, we thought that you were at a five and you're at like a 12. Okay. Well, but what I love, this is the thing that's really key here is she, this is also James Robinson who wrote that previous issue. She's betraying Sebastian, her lover, because at the end of the day, Madeline Pryor is a hero when she's not crazy. She's not crazy here. It's been long enough now after getting her memories back that she's pretty lucid and she realizes that this is bad news. Are there degrees of evil, Nathan? If so, then my evil falls short of genocide. And I believe Sebastian's reach far exceeds his grasp here. Think of me well or not. I don't care. I would only urge you to act quickly. And oh, if you could forget who told you this. How will we find the part of London where Shaw intends to do this? Nathan, do you know of a hero who fought in two wars? An English noble, Lord Montgomery Fallsworth? If you read this journal, and she holds out a leather-bound book, you'll know he had another name. Union Jack! Jack. (laughs) And then we get a whole flashback about Union Jack. 1915! And you don't have to worry about the rest of this story at all. At all. We're good. But this, like, the Madeline scene, is right? great! And the drones are, like, beautiful, wonderful. All of it's great. Yeah. Over in X-Man, Maddie shows up to be with Nate again. And she's like, hi, I quit the Hellfire Club because Sebastian got too evil and I didn't like it. <laughs> Let's hang out. Yeah, she was trying to crash on his couch and he's trying to crash on her couch because yeah. neither of them have a couch. No, everything's fucked up at this point in Nate's life and in Maddie's life. She's dumped Shaw because he tried to do like a big genocide in London for power grabbing reasons. And she's like, well, never mind. (laughs) God, she tried to get away from her attraction to Summer's Boy Scouts and ended up with Sebastian Shaw. And she's just like, this was a huge mistake. You're actually like a capitalist fascist. You're actually like a monster and I need to get out of this right now. Like, I thought it was fun, and it was, but then it was like, oh, God. This is when Betsy and the Shadow King are fighting in the Psy War. So there's a brief moment where all telepaths around the world get their powers disrupted. Yes. Including Maddie and Nate. Yep. And this moment when they don't have telepathy is when they start to grow close again because she's very supportive of him and he's very appreciative. Yes. 
Then Nate gets attacked by Gauntlet, these people who want to kill him and like truly don't, don't worry, worry about, about it. it. Go back to the Nate Gray episode if you have to. They end up killing Ness, possibly a Nate Gray from an alternate future. Super don't worry about that either. Don't even worry about it. Maddie expends a lot of power to protect and save Nate. This is X-Man 52. And we see abruptly when she walks in and looks at Ness's dead body because she chose not to save him and to save Nate instead, that she has aged suddenly into an old woman. It's actually very Celine, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes sense because Celine taught her magic, right? And Celine's magic ages her. And that's why Celine always has to like slurp up some people to make sure that she hasn't expended too much life energy on her magic. She says, poured it out of there a while ago, Ness. Guess I could have said something. Maybe and pulled you out of danger, saved your life the way you thought you were saving me. But I had other things on my mind. My plans for Nate have taken a sharp left turn, obviously. <laughs> yep. So I'm gone, fast and far. And that is the last appearance in the flesh of what I would say is our Maddie in X-Men. Yeah. When Counter X happens and Warren Ellis relaunches the whole line, Stephen Grant is writing X-Man and Nate is suddenly with Maddie again in like X-Man 67, I want to say. But that's the Red Queen and she's behaving weird. So you yeah. can tell that it's not quite right. And they're like fucking, which is also weird because <laughs> despite that one kiss when she was having her nervous breakdown, like they haven't actually had a sexual relationship. Yeah, until, oh my God. Yeah, because it feels like the continual disconnect of the 90s, right? Where there's always so many creators, they're going from book to book, like there's a bunch of stuff going on. And I just feel like people maybe read the beginning of X-Men, but didn't read the Maddie stuff or something. Because mm -hmm. at this point, you're yeah. like, did you know? Like, this is where it starts to be very questionable. I mean, never right. mind. Why would I say that? It's been questionable this whole time. But it's like, been no, but I get what you mean, which is like now he's actually like tapping his mom's Like, ass. you know, you know, Nate, like that's kind of the one. Nate now knows that Madeline is a clone of his mother and yeah. is still fucking her. As we'll later find out, it's not even Madeline. It's an alternate gene. So it's literally just his mom who he's Quite fucking at this literally point. literally your mom minus like the cool Age of Apocalypse like face tattoo or whatever Gene had, but. Anyway, this isn't Maddie, so we don't have to worry about her and we won't worry about her right now. Around the same time, Maddie pops up in Cable 76, which is at this point written by Joe Pruitt. Joe Pruitt is known primarily as one of the founders of Aftershock Comics, which unfortunately is oh, in yeah. a really horrific bankruptcy situation right now. And my heart goes out to any of the creators affected by it. But he did write occasionally for Marvel and most notably wrote on cable throughout the 12 crossover, which is what's happening right now. And you can tell because it's like Cable and Scott like walking towards the viewer, right? Cable and Scott and Gene and the rest of the 12 are all trapped in Egypt near Akaba where Apocalypse is launching his evil plan. When suddenly snow begins swirling around Scott and Cable as they're talking and they are pulled onto the astral plane. They don't know what's happening, but suddenly Cable steps into 
the cabin in Alaska where his parents lived when he was a baby. Looking for someone, Nathan? We see that Cyclops is just floating in the air suspended because Madeline doesn't give a shit about Cyclops. This is about talking to Nathan. She truly, like, uh, yeah, pretty much after he leaves her, she really doesn't other than to be like, shut the fuck up. Fuck you. I'm here for our kid. I don't want to talk to you. She is the Chris Claremont of this situation just being like, shut up, Scott. Just like, fuck Scott. I don't give a shit. I am here to talk to our son. So Scott is just floating in the air going like, while she talks to Nathan. Cable is a true summer's boy, is completely baffled by this. Madeline, Madeline Pryor, so you're behind this phenomenon. Come now, why so formal? After all, I am your mother. Physically, we never left Egypt at all. You simply pulled our minds into the psionic plane. I think you've had more than enough bonding time with Scott. Now, it's only fair that you give me equal time. She's like working on her shared custody agreement right now, telepathically. (laughs) This isn't the time or place for this, Madeline. Earth is on the brink of Armageddon and the X-Men are all that stands in the way. Don't you care? Release Cyclops now and help us find a way to destroy Apocalypse. Do you remember this place, Nathan? We came here once before. We lived here together when you were just a baby. It was the best time of my life. As I recall, you found a moment of peace here as well. Alaska's quiet solitude does that to people. That's why we agreed this would be our neutral territory in case we ever needed one another. I don't remember calling for you. Maybe not with words. I'm a telepath like you. You may not even have been aware of it, but you called, and so I answered. With death near, you started thinking about the things you wished you could have changed in your life. You regret that you didn't have more time with your parents. How could I refuse my only son his last wish? Even though I despise your father, and we see Cyclops floating in the background going, shrouded <laughs> in, like, demonic fire. Oh my god, this guy. I couldn't deny him to you. Regardless of what you may think of me, I'm not heartless. But as they say, all good things must come to an end. Let me save you, Nathan. Let me take you from this place. I've seen inside your mind. I know what's to come. We can't save this world, but we can save ourselves. The psionic plane is safe. We can make it anything we want just by thinking it. We can rebuild our relationship, make it what it should have been. I'm sorry, Madeline. I know what it's like to be alone, but I'm not alone anymore. I've found people I care about. People who care about me in return. Why? If you fight Apocalypse, you'll die with the rest of them. Your mission is over. Your obligation has ended. Now fulfill your obligation to yourself and to me. I need you, Nathan. You're all I have left. And he puts his hand over his face wearily. We've been through this before, Madeline. The answer remains the same. No. I'm sorry. Release Cyclops. Now. And she does. Because her son asked her to. And Cyclops drops to the floor. And as he falls, there's a crash. A picture frame falls to the ground and shatters. And you're wrong, Madeline. I haven't failed in my mission. I thought I had, but I've come to realize that there's been more to this than just fighting. Apocalypse may still be alive, but so am I. Until I breathe my last, I'll never give up. 
I have my responsibilities just as Scott always had his. I pray I can equip myself as well as he has. And though I may have denied it in the past, I'm an X-Man, like my father. Is this how you truly feel? You'd rather die here with them than escape with me? So I want to note that the way that his face looks is in no way condemning of her, right? No, and she looks genuinely sad. She's like, is that how you feel? And he says, yes. I understand. Nathan, before all the madness, the hate, you were the best thing to ever happen to me. If nothing else, I'll always have the memory of those moments. And of course, Scott. That's when Scott cuts in and goes, (laughs) if you feel that way, Madeline, help us. You don't have to be alone. Free us so that we can stop Apocalypse. I'm afraid that's not in my power. All I am is a ghost on the psionic plane. I only wanted to give Nathan something nobody else could. Scott bends down and Mm -hmm. picks up the shattered photo and it's a picture of him and Madeline when they were married with their baby. And he looks happy, okay? You know, like, come Yeah, on. they were happy. God damn it. Now, all that's left to say is goodbye. And she shoots them back out into Egypt and the 12 plot continues. This, <laughs> as far as we know, is the last appearance of Madeline Pryor before Hellions. Yes. And we'll get into why that is. It's complicated. (laughs) I mean, I guess the Brian Wood version is her. It's just like, with those khakis on? No, I'm kidding. But we'll get there when we get there. (laughs) But good point. This story, Jay Eden and I talked about this in the Cyclops episode. Yeah. Because Jay had a custom wallet that was made from panels from this issue. Yeah. And that was why I was like, you're a Cyclops fan I can fuck with. Because, like, (laughs) this issue... Joe Pruitt, you freak that. Like, that's just real good shit. Oh, it is. Yeah. And like, Scott is both himself in a very frustrating way and also in the way that we know him. Like, you're just Mm -hmm. like, he's being kind of a, like a, he's so basic sometimes compared to Madeline. (laughs) And so, but he is doing it sincerely here where he's just like, we could help you. Like, maybe you could help us, you know, kind of doing his pragmatism thing. And what this astral ghost Madeline tells us is that the Madeline in X-Man is not her. Because she's appearing in X-Man, but it's the evil Jean who has replaced her. She's like, oh, don't try to pin that on me. That's Jean shit over there. So to really quickly go over how I understand the Red Queen. The Red Queen says that she empowered Nate to create the ghost Madeline. And I believe that that's true. The evil gene is from a reality where she, well, it's interesting. It's very Jadis from Narnia. Mm -hmm. When Jadis spoke the deplorable word in Charn and then went to other Earths. I'm so excited about this reference. (laughs) I just like lit up. (laughs) Jadis had over here. Right. Because you know me. How shocking is that? Oh, right? my God. My mom read that to me when I was like five. And I was like, the White Witch is the coolest character, unfortunately. The so, coolest. Yeah. yeah. It's very that. This is a gene who was banished from her original world and then wound up on an earth where Queen Madeline 
who ruled over a kingdom was dying. And it's like, was she a clone of this world's Jean Grey? Is she just named Madeline? We don't know. But this Jean killed and replaced her and was like, I have rejuvenated myself and made myself young again and then came to rule that kingdom and then like genocided the entire world or whatever. That world went badly too. And now she has just been scouring the multiverse for different Nate's Grey. She's trying to find the one that's perfect that she can use to, like, conquer all reality. And it's this Nate Grey who we know. And that's what the story is. Yeah, this is Madeline at her very most mustache twirling. And that's why yeah, it's actually Yeah, but it's Jean, to be clear. <laughs> right. Stephen Grant, who wrote these issues, wrote into the Marvel Universe appendix after they tried to make sense of this story and said that his intention for this story was that the Red Queen was the Jean Grey of Earth-616, who had died on the moon in Dark Phoenix, and that the Jean we had had since X-Factor was something else, and that this was Dark Phoenix continued. Marvel said no, and she had to be like the Jean of some stupid Earth. Right, right. I am Makes glad sense. that Marvel said no. Because yeah. that's crazy, but it's that's a nuts. wild idea. It's like one of, of those, like, why would you say something so controversial and yet so brave? And yet like... so true and interesting, <laughs> right. Point is, the Red Queen's not Maddie, and she's fucking evil, and she's a psychic entity that has possessed the body of the Maddie that Nate created. And she claims that she allowed him to do that because he doesn't have the actual power to do that. In the Nate Gray episode, I argue that this is basically the season four plot of Angel, my favorite TV show, in which my favorite television character, Cordelia Chase, has this exact thing happen to her. Yeah. Yeah. The Red Queen is Jasmine to Maddie's Cordelia. If you're someone who knows, you know, and if you don't, Angel's a great show. Watch definitely the first three seasons, but if you watch the fourth season, just be aware that Joss Whedon pulls some fuckery because Charisma Carpenter got pregnant. Yeah, and Charisma Carpenter will tell you. Thank God she did because he was just going to make Cordelia evil. I know. Like, why? Because he hated the actress and he's a misogynist. Yeah, this woman is literally truth incarnate from her first day on the goddamn screen. And you're just going to be like, oh, she's like... She's evil now. You would think somebody who reads all these comics <laughs> would know that Given that Madeline he ripped Pryor. off half of Buffy from Chris Claremont's yeah. X-Men, you'd think... But then you read his X-Men run and listen, I know a lot of people still love it. Not mine. Guess what? It fucking sucks. It was... When I stopped reading X-Men, and we'll talk about that in a second, it's actually kind of important to this conversation because whenever I start to try to understand the Red Queen, I'm like, oh yeah, this is when I was like completely checked out, like after like <laughs> Astonishing, where I was like, every, even now, if I try to read this stuff, I'm just like, it makes no sense to me and I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have now reread the Sisterhood arc so many times that I have made sense of the Red Queen. You wrapped your brain around it in a I way did. that is like... Because I talked about... This was the arc I talked about with Jordan D. White in episode yeah. 12. I said, I am disgusted by that Matt Fraction arc because Madeline rapes Scott in yeah. it. Yeah. And I found that repellent. Absolutely And I was offensive. so offended that they would have her do that because even at her most evil what madeline cares about most 
uh, is bodily integrity and autonomy. Consent. These are all things. And they come up again and again and again. Every damn time she opens her mouth, she's talking about how somebody is trying to violate her autonomy. And like, that is why she's Madeline Pryor. She thinks everyone deserves to have control over their own body. That's she why sure so does. many trans women write into my podcast or tell me on the Discord that Madeline Pryor is a character that they really identify with. Yeah. Her struggle to be seen as a real girl, her struggle to assert herself as someone in control of her own body is something they really relate to. Yeah. It is so offensive to think that she would do this. I but before we get to the sisterhood, we should mention quickly two alternate universe Madelines who I think are important. Yes. Oh, yes. And we're not going to dwell because this is not an alternate universe's yeah. podcast. But around the same time that she's appearing in Cable. There's another series. <laughs> Mutant X launches this is the howard mackey series that spins out of the cancellation of x factor yeah. alex summers is sucked into an alternate dimension where scott was also kidnapped by the shiar along with their parents and havoc became the great hero leader of the x-men that cyclops is in our reality yes a lot of other horrible shit happened in this timeline that's not great yeah but alex is doing relatively okay we later find out the alex from this reality was a is real evil dick. Yeah, yeah he's a piece of shit and as uh actually if you listen to explain the x-men right talk a lot about how this is the one happy cyclops of the entire multiverse yes because cyclops shows up as part of the star <laughs> Jammers, he's, and he's having a great life he's yeah with carol danvers which is like i didn't know i shipped that i ship it i guess but i could see it kind of in this reality jean gray's codename was ariel which i yes. find interesting and she died tragically after dating alex and then alex met madeline Pryor in the same way cyclops did but it all turned out okay they got married and she instead of falling prey to the inferno bargained with the demons to save her son because yes. they had seized him scotty scotty to go back to vertigo <laughs> scotty her and alex's son named after his lost brother is captured by the demons and madeline makes a pact with them to free him and end the inferno mm -hmm. in this reality she is known as marvel woman nice and she is part of the six who are yes. the x-men in this reality and that also includes bloodstorm so this is bloodstorm like, vampire no. storm and everyone loves that character and they've used her in lots of whatevs and then like x-men blue brought another version of her out it's bloodstorm the brute the fallen mutant x is crazy you should yes. read it if you haven't it's there's nuts. a whole lesbian vampire episode that's like kate pride and like that's bloodstorm like, oh seducing God, kitty pride everything. yeah it's I wild. It. I'm obsessed. And also Madeline Pryor goes to her local Hot Topic, picks up the best hip huggers that money can buy in 1997. It's very actually like Emma Frost's astonishing X-Men outfit, actually, because it's the same kind of like tube top with a cape. But it's purple and gold. Yes. This is the only Madeline Pryor design that has ever been turned into merchandise. I guess there's like one Goblin Queen statue, but otherwise it's all this. And I have the Mutant X Madeline statue because a fan of the show 
bought it for me and I oh. then like Venmoed him the money but yeah. like he was like hey this is in my store do you want it it's been discontinued or whatever it's from a million years ago but I was like yes yeah. yes I want it send that to me now <laughs> so Marvel Woman in Mutant X is a tragic heroine who eventually is corrupted after making her bargain to save her child in a very gene way by the goblin force yes which is established as the equal and opposite number to the phoenix force which is fucking stupid but it's okay and it doesn't matter because in the end of mutant x havoc sacrifices his life and all his power and his continued life on this world where he's happier than he was on 616 to obliterate the goblin force from all creation retroactively across the multiverse yes so it never existed to give maddie a happy goddamned ending to give madeline his wife a happy ending with their son even if he can't be there that is why we actually kind of ship them. That's why I think they should be together because in this reality, even with evil Havoc, their marriage was on the rocks. But once our Havoc got there, it was like, oh my God, they're so cute. They're so cute. And like, there's a lot of bad things going on and they're so goddamn cute. Even when he's attracted to their nanny, Electra, Mutant yeah. X is crazy. I yeah. can't stress that enough. <laughs> They're so cute and it's sad and tragic that she gets corrupted. And then when he frees her at the end of Mutant X, it's so liberating. Yeah. That's when Mutant X ends and he gets shunted back into our reality and it he picks up in last week's episode. I mean, week. It's been a while now because I'm going to be editing this episode for a fucking month, I bet. Yeah. But last episode with Chuck Austin, when he shows up in Nurse Annie's care, that's the next time we see him after Mutant X. After Mutant X, yes. It's after he sacrifices everything to save Madeline and their child. Yes, and it continues. This is Alex's vibe, and this is why, like, as much as Alex is an absolute dipshit, I love this guy. Like, he will always show up for Maddie and, like, often for pretty much any of the women in his life, but he will always show up for Maddie. And it's just like, that's how you win me. Depending on the writer, he sometimes fucks Lorna over, but when he's yeah. written well, he shows up for Lorna too. But he yeah. always shows up for Madeline. That's always. the thing. Yes, once again, as a lesbian, the way that you impress me is just being like, I am here for my wife like 100%. And I'm like, no, that's I me love too you. as a faggot. Yeah. The only heterosexual <laughs> ships I like in all media are a woman I'm obsessed with. Yep. And a man who's completely obsessed with her. Yes. Angel and Cordelia, yep. Rosalind and Adama, Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Like, great example. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that. Hawkman, whenever he's not being a Republican. I love a wife guy because I'm like, you're right. Your wife is the better character. That's so the thing cool. with a wife guy. Like a lot of people took offense at that term. And it's just like, it's as a lesbian, the highest For me, it's honor a compliment. I can It's the best compliment I can give a straight man, from to be the perfectly gays, honest. Understand that from a queer person at all, if we call you a wife guy, we say that with the absolute utmost reverence and you are a king among men. 
It's the hugest compliment. It's like, Just hey, to be what's clear up, to the best flat friend? Scan listeners, my dad is a wife guy. Oh, that's your how dad I was is raised. a wife guy. Like your dad is like the Soren. Go back to the Soron episode, everybody. No because... one is a bigger wife guy than my dad. My mom is now the pickleball queen of Westchester County. <laughs> She's coordinating all the tournaments, and my dad is going to the tournaments and has become into pickleball purely because my mother is fire and life incarnate and controlling <laughs> all of the pickleball in Westchester County, New York. Oh. They were texting me earlier. She was like, here's a picture from the pickleball tournament in Boca Raton. And I was like, I love this for you. I truly do. <laughs> no, that's so cute. I love it too. Your dad talking about Scott Summers was just, it's like, it's everything. And my mom is Jean, and she was offended when we made that comparison. She was like, doesn't she die? <laughs> Jean would be offended if you called Jean I know, Jean, right? right? No, it's great. It's great. It's so great. <laughs> Anytime somebody tells Jean what Jean's life is, Jean is like, fuck that, actually. She's like, fuck you. And that's why Jean's so compelling. Like, I do feel the need in this Madeline episode occasionally to point out that I love we Jean. We love Jean. Well, you, everybody knows this, but the Jarbs don't seem to believe that I love Jean Grey. And I think it's because sometimes I don't love her in the way that Jarbs do. Listen, because if you say that Jean Grey ever did anything wrong in her goddamn life, then you get yelled at. You get screamed at, at on Twitter. But what is interesting to me about Jean Grey and why I think she's one of the best female characters in comics is that sometimes she fucking sucks. Sometimes she's full of shit, you guys. And it's and like, like women in a great need way. to be allowed to do that in fiction. That's the thing is like, I always want to say, I call Jean Grey a bully in that episode and it's come back like a hundred times. People bring it I up it all has. the time. But like, I stand by it because but she that's is. the thing is like, I'm a goddamn bully. If like you put me in a room where I see somebody else getting bullied and I think I can bully the person who's bullying. Oh, I'm, if I'm feeling self-righteous. I'll bully the shit out of somebody. That's it's the not thing. That, like I relate to Jean in That's a lot of ways. It. I don't like the part of myself. Yes. That see the things and that you are most repelled by in other people are the things that remind you of the things you don't like about yourself. Yeah. And a lot Jean is a Pisces, like me. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of Jean Grey that I see and recognize in myself. Even the way she talks to Madeline, I probably would do the same thing if I got cloned because I'd be pissed about it. Yeah, you're like trying to martyrize yourself like while this other shit's but going on. But that's why I'm frustrated with her because I'm like, Jean, we shouldn't say that. Yeah, but that's the thing is like, Jean is gonna say that. And it's like, I don't think that I'm, it's like, it doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make Jean a bad person. It makes us complicated people. It makes her someone who pissed me off. It doesn't yeah. make her a bad person. And when I've been I say I hated Jean for a while, it's because she really pissed me off. But it's yeah. not me saying she's a bad character or that you shouldn't love her. So just- no. I feel the need to clarify that for all the jobs listening, because I know they listen. I don't think she's perfect. I think she's far from it. And I think that's what makes her interesting. 
Because the most boring thing you can give me is a female character who's perfect. Yeah. Because sexism and misogyny in our culture requires her Madonna, to be perfect. Of course. Yes. And like, so you have this idea of Jean where it's like, I can engage with her. And that's so much better than a lot of the times back in like the 90s when even the people who were writing her weren't engaging with her, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, to me, I think that like, as much as Jean is sometimes frustrating, I have to love her like I've always loved her and I don't think that any person who listens to the episode of Jean where we're talking about her with so much reverence we're criticizing some aspects but like what does that matter we love her we did like two hours of talking about her and listen I'm in my Lana Del Rey era now I read a bunch of interviews with her with this new album that just came out which is incredible by the way I'm a big Lana stan I have been like since she first before Born to Die like the demos did you know that there's a tunnel under Salem Center West Chester, New York, the Morlocks live there. I'm just saying, <laughs> just like, listen, if you choose to read me negatively, if you choose to hate me because of who you think I am, that's a choice you are making and I can't affect that. So right. what I'm just trying to say is when we talk about Jean Grey and we are hard on Jean Grey, it's because we love Jean Grey. We love Jean and we love ourselves. Like, you that's love the Jean thing. Grey more than anyone else I know besides yeah. the jobs. Yes. We are expressing our love for her by taking her to task when we think she fucks up. Yeah. Because that's what you do if you love somebody. And I love when she fucks up. Like, that's Same. It's when she's most interested. Like, I'm like, I hate her most in X Factor, but also Simonson's Jean is, to me, outside of the Dark Phoenix saga and Morrison, the most interestingly Jean has ever been written. Yeah. It's really fun stuff. And that's the thing. Like, yeah, the whole thing with her being a bully, like, yes, she's being assertive too. We could be like, well, it's fine because this and this and this. Here's the thing. I don't think Jean wants us to do that. No. If Jean is in this conversation, Jean is like, tell me. That's why Kieran Gillen's one shot with her in Judgment Day. Really good. It said... Jean knows she will fail and that is her great shame. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important to the character, I think. That is important to the character. And that's also kind of what makes her the perfect successor to Xavier. Yes. In a way that Scott never well, really Well, that's what is, Kieran right? also underlined in Immortal X-Men with the Xavier issue. Yeah. That leads into the reveal that Xavier has been sinisterized. Before that, Xavier's inner monologue is exactly the same thing. It's, I know what you think of me, but I'm doing it anyway because it's what I feel I need to do. Mm -hmm. And in that way, Jean is his purest child, is his yeah. ultimate daughter. Yeah. Hank is also very Charles in that way. Yes. And that's what Ben Percy is showing us the logical endpoint of in yes. X-Force and Wolverine right now. And that's interesting. Oh, it's so... In if you told me that X-Force and Wolverine would be the titles that I'm anticipating like, every month... loving. I would have grabbed you by the shoulders and been like, you have lost your mind. But I know. Ben Percy is in his bag and four years of storytelling is coming to a head and it's so good. I feel like, yeah, he's a creator that like... Apart from Bessie Braddock, Captain Britain, which like obviously is like my favorite book really ever made. Really fucking good, yeah. And it's also so good. It's so good, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it's so fucking good remember when we were like rachel's gay rachel should be gay <laughs> remember when we did that episode we're not the and first now... people who said that right but like no. at the same time we were like come on and then like the universe just rained that down on us well and let me be real part of what i do on this show 
I don't try to manipulate the world, but I do yeah. try to create discourse. And when I put that episode out with you, every fan was like, obviously Rachel's gay. Yeah. And I do think that helped yeah. in convincing the people who control the IP that Rachel should be gay. Yeah, because we were just like, we love her so much and gay people But also love like, her. read these comics. She's a yeah. fucking dyke. Yeah. Are you dumb? Are yeah. you dumb? Remy Ma style. Like, are you dumb? <laughs> So, you know. Yes. I wanted to address the Gene stuff, too, though. I did, too, because it's your first episode of this show, and I do feel like sometimes we're taken a little harshly in the way that we spoke about her, and I just want to be clear. Jean Grey is one of the most iconic characters in all of superhero comics. I adore her. Yeah. I also fucking hate her because she's complicated and interesting. And that's good. That's what you want. Jean Grey comes back from the dead and Connor, somebody gives us a mysterious phone call. Jean Grey's back and we're just like, oh my God, I'm going to <sighs> an X Factor. I like, oh, can't help myself. My feelings I have a, are so complicated. I have a wife and kids and... What are we doing, Jean? Like, but I, I have to run back to her because like... I have to know what's going to happen. <laughs> I just want to be in the room with Jean, like straight up. Anyway, that's enough, Jean. Fuck Jean. It's Madeline's episode. Here we go. No, I'm kidding. But also, like, no, let's get back on the subject. Madeline. And like, that's the thing is like, Madeline is the one who's just like, you freaks. <laughs> well, but that's what I, the reason why people assume that I hate Jean and that like, I actually genuinely hate her. I'm like, she's not real. I don't like actually genuinely hate fictional characters is because I'm such a Madeline fan. But as Jerry and Zeb demonstrated so beautifully in Dark Web, yes. the characters work best as mirrors of each other. Yeah. That can exist together. It's not what Nasir said. Yes. That's not true. Nasir? Nasir said, creation's not big enough for the two of you. He was being a fucking bitch. Nasir, you fucking bitch. <laughs> and we love Nasir here on this podcast. Sarah and I, our friend Nasir, we're going to pitch the sitcom. It's the three of us. But sometimes he's a real bitch. And that was one of those times. Nastir is a bitch is like a bumper sticker for all. <laughs> That's merch I would sell. Nastir is a bitch. But like in a way where I'm proud of him also, I'm yeah. like, go off, queen. Like you are being so mean right now. You meet Madeline and it's like the bitchery that was unlocked between the two of you is a thing of beauty. Absolutely. They are like... Cunt has never been served on the level of Inferno before or since. And that's because a sinister evil gay, Nasir, and Madeline, the cuntiest, sexiest, evilest, greatest female character of all time, linked up. And they were just like, what if we created a world where only us serving it mattered. And that's what they do for like 10 issues. And it's so great. And everybody else is like, they're serving too hard. They're serving so hard. We don't know. It's too pussy. We don't know what to do. Anyway, to get back around. In 2004, Chris Claremont writes a book called X-Men The End. Okay, here we go. We're not going to dwell because, again, this is not an alternate universes podcast. At some Lots point, I'm going to do X-Men The End on the Patreon, though, because I fucking love it. And it's insane. It's fully like Chris on a masculine trip. Kate's the president married to Rachel. 
Katie Pride becomes the president and Rachel Summers is the first lady and they have redheaded children that have been conceived in ways we're not elaborated upon. But like, sure, Chris said on Jay and Miles, episode 100. (laughs) Hey, Chris, catch up. (laughs) They keep talking about how Kitty is an important president, but she's not the first female president and she's not the first mutant president and she's not the first lesbian president. no that's what he's he's saying that she is <laughs> yeah he's like wink wink i'm being coy right now on this she's podcast. the first something president and he goes and there's a reason those children have red hair and i'm like i love you chris <laughs> oh my god but anyway so x from the end is completely psychotic you should read it if you haven't it's wild the big twist in X-Men The End, and we're just going to spoil it because it's yeah. still good, even if you read it. Yeah, it's kind of better if you know, like, what happened. And this is, like, problematic of Madeline Jennifer Pryor to do this, but Madeline comes back to Earth with a bunch of War Scrolls. Don't know why. Claremont's obsessed with War Scrolls. If you remember, he factored them into 275, the whole Shi'ar arc. It's also when Zaladane was having her problems with Magneto. So, like, all of that. <laughs> Madeline comes to Earth with the War Scrolls, immediately murders Soraya Kadir, Dust, and begins posing as her by wearing her niqab and abaya because the X-Men are not paying attention to her. So she just hangs out in a full face and body covering. That's where I'm like, cultural appropriation, Madeline. Kaladin and I talked about this in the Dust episode, and Kaladin still stands MJP, so I think it's safe for us to also continue to do so. Another all-timer episode. She is bent on taking revenge on Cyclops, but then sexy-ass, titties-sitting Cassandra Nova makes her play, (laughs) and Madeline is the only person who's able to stand up to Cassandra and say no. I am more powerful than you and I refuse. And this is Chris Claremont fully just like whatever the fuck he wants to do. This is X-Men the end. This is his concept of the final X-Men story. And the grand confrontation at the end is Cassandra Nova versus Madeline Pryor. Yeah. Madeline stands up and Scott says, I knew it was you and I'm so sorry. Yeah. And he apologizes to her. And then she turns to Cassandra Nova and is like, I'm going to defeat you. And she explains to Scott and to us that Madeline is the part of Jean Grey that loved Scott. Yep. And that's why their marriage fails. (laughs) Is because once she died, Jean didn't love Scott anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, reads with Jean for that time period. Things are different now. I don't like the idea that Madeline is part of Jean, but I get what Chris is doing here, which is he's underlining his point of like, the same way that we said in the issue after Madeline dies, the way that Chris writes Jean as having become Madeline. Yep. He's saying Madeline is his Jean. Yeah. Structurally. The one that he made. The one that he loves, not the one that Jim Shooter brought back. Yeah. It's like he does this and then there's another Madeline story that he does, right, at Mm -hmm. some point. And they're both literally kind of just like fan fiction, which is very interesting. because Which is so fun. And but like, again, as I said, she's the first thing he brought up to me like 40 years later when I gave him my Inferno omnibus to sign. He was just like, oh, this is so great. But of course, it's after Jim made me do all this shit to Madeline. Yes. Wheezy and I had finally figured out what to do with her. And that's what this event is. He's like, it's good stuff. But God. 
I'm still mad at Cyclops. And he just like kept going and we talked yeah. for 45 minutes. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is like, it's like when he comes back and somebody gives him a chance to write Cyclops, generally he's going to try to do a fan fiction that repairs. Because he wants to fix it. Yeah. The key is the end of this scenario yes, because after madeline explains that she is as i said the only one who can withstand cassandra's power and she and gene from beyond merge into one phoenix destroy everything and then ascend into heaven as tifereth with the rest of the x-men and cassandra whom they have redeemed and we see the Kabbalistic tree of life shining. And that's when we cut to the final ending, which is President Kitty Pride addressing the masses with her lesbian first lady and their children. It's the most Claremontian thing imaginable. <laughs> other than Extreme X-Men, the arena. But yes, it's yes, right there. Yes, it's the other most Claremontian <laughs> thing imaginable. They're kind of two sides of his coin, right? <laughs> but in this, what finally is what resolves it is that Scott and Jean are like mortally wounded and Madeline sacrifices her life to heal them. I know. Madeline. To be anodyne in that last moment. Going back to anodyne. And that is what makes her and Jean integrate themselves as one woman and ascend into godhood. Yeah. It's great. Listen, X-Men The End, it's a mixed bag. It's fucking crazy. It is one of my favorite things Claremont ever wrote upon his return. And it's worth reading. And at some point, I'll dig into it on the Patreon. And that's all we're going to say about it. Because again, it's an alternate universe. But it's interesting to see her creator taking a moment to make her the most important figure in his yeah. entire cosmology. Yeah. For that alone, it's definitely worth reading. Like, yeah, I would always say check that out because it's like, I think it's rated. So many people are like, this is the worst X-Men. I mean, it's like, would I say that it's like a good comic by its uh... own merits? No. Is it a fascinating peek into yes. the brain of Chris Claremont? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And as a noted Chris Claremont apostle, I yes. find it very, very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the end. Check it out. Unfortunately, a couple years after that, Matt Fraction is writing the X-Men. <laughs> and this is the weird other side of Claremont, kind of, where you're just like, well, she does show up in thigh-high boots stepping on his face, right? You yeah. know, like, so we have a lot of the one side of Claremont <laughs> showing up in Fraction's run. It is drawn by Greg Land. And frankly, both Matt and Greg should be tried before The Hague for this storyline. <laughs> and they know it. I think they know it. I don't know if Greg knows it. Matt knows it. <laughs> Matt has been very open about the fact that he doesn't think his X-Men run is his best work. And I agree it's is all I'll say about that. Yeah. Some writers don't quite get the X-Men. This is also what I said about Brian Edward Hill. Like, Fallen Angels is terrible, but I don't think Brian Edward Hill is a bad writer. Yeah. Ed Brubaker's X-Men is one of my least favorite runs of X-Men, but Ed Brubaker is one of my favorite comics writers. It's just like, sometimes it just doesn't gel. He's a creator that has been put on every goddamn book. Yeah. And if he doesn't click immediately, then you're just like, something's off. 
And Gotham Central is one of my favorite comics of all time that he did with Greg Rucka. So it's if just like one of those things. If you strike out here, you know? you'll find something good over there. Exactly. No one bats a thousand. Yeah. Literally no one. So there's that. But anyway, so the sisterhood arc. <laughs> I don't know what to say about this. <laughs> I'm going to say everything we need to say. All right. So there's several hints by Fraction around Uncanny X-Men 500 that Madeline is back and up to no good. I will read for you this quote. Poor Maddie is still dead, Fraction told CBR News, addressing fan speculation. I think she was consumed by the Red Queen. Nobody said Maddie was coming back. The Red Queen is back and Maddie is dead. Okay. So the character who appears in this arc is the Red Queen evil Jean Grey who killed Madeline and stole her body at the end of X-Men. You look like like the Charlie Day thing where you're like pointing at like notes on the wall. No, literally that's me right now. And I've like, <laughs> I have screen capped all of the pages that prove this because Fraction did not convey this properly in the story, but it's there if you're paying attention yes, yes, really closely. Yeah. Like we said, there's this really weird freaky sequence where she poses as Emma and like telepathically rapes Scott. Big thumbs fucking down. Big thumbs down. She also is, and this part's kind of fun, like sexually dominating empath. Right. I would have found that funny if the actual Maddie did it, but it's not the actual Maddie, just to be clear. Right. And that's why it doesn't come up in Hellions, I bet, because I think Zeb Wells just did not want to get into that. <laughs> the way it's canonical, if you look it up, that there is a boot on Emmanuel's face and an issue. <laughs> Every time I read this comic, I'm just like, holy shit. Comics are wild. <laughs> so this plot hinges on a plot about Betsy and Kanon. Yes. And I was most furious about this story, not even for Madeline reasons, but because they faked that Betsy and Conan were going to be unswapped and yep. then they didn't actually do it. This was like the prototype soft launch. Right. But in this story, the Red Queen, after gathering her sisterhood of evil mutants, yes. including the ladies mastermind and Spiral. <laughs> so it's like a real. Oh, my God. Bitch fest. Cerebro yeah. hits only greatest hits kind yeah. of lineup. Unfortunately, it's also like Chimera who like who cares who that is. And then Lady Deathstrike, who I do like. But yeah, she's fun. Who's Chimera? I think this was the first story I'd ever read with Chimera in it. <laughs> In any case, she is using Betsy and Conan as a test. She explains after they have shunted Betsy's consciousness back into her original body, we needed to reanimate a dead body capable of containing a psyche that powerful. Now that we've tested and succeeded in doing it once, we'll be doing it again. What she's talking about there is, again, being the Red Queen and possessing Madeline's body. We see in this storyline that, quote-unquote, Madeline is a ghost who has no physical form. She's an astral being. And it's because Nate Gray killed the Red Queen at the end of X-Men, so Madeline's body died. What's confusing is that the editorial notes summarizing the story at the beginning of every issue refer to this character as Madeline. Yes. Other characters refer to this character as Madeline. But then we get to see that she's fucking not. 
What we've done to Psylocke is a test. While her abilities and talents are welcome, the real accomplishment is housing the spirit inside new flesh. There have been but two humans gifted enough to contain power as great as mine. My first host was destroyed irrevocably. My first host, Madeline. Yes. Kay. This isn't Madeline. This is not Madeline. And then in like the following issue or something, Scott is thinking and he's like, body thieves. The sisterhood stole Conan's body to house the stolen psyche of Psylocke inside of it. And now the Red Queen, my dead ex Maddie, attacked my people all to take a lock of Jean Grey's hair. No, <laughs> that's not what happened, Scott. Maddie's a ghost. No, she's not Maddie. She's the Red Queen. She's a okay. psychic ghost or something. And she's looking for a new home. She chose the body of the woman we both love because he's with Wolverine. But that's where Fraction says it. He's like, this isn't Madeline Pryor. It's the evil gene Red Queen entity from the end of X-Men. It is not stated explicitly enough for people not to be unbelievably confused by this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, almost intentionally. Just... Especially because the Red Queen, when she approaches Jean's grave, looks at Scott and says, you always did want me to be Jean all over again. And I'm like, what? Like, Matt. What's going on in this storyline? Yeah, no, it's that kind of story where you're just like, all right. Anyway, Domino's replaced the corpse of Jean with a fake. And yes. so when the Red Queen enters it, she is killed instantly because a regular human body can't contain the power of a Jean Grey. Madeline can, but that's it, really, yeah. honestly. If we're thinking about people who are not Jean, the only body that could possibly contain Jean's power is Madeline. <laughs> this is neither of them, so the Red Queen is obliterated from all existence immediately. <laughs> My uh, brain is Superman, and the plot points are bullets that are firing at the red S symbol, just bouncing right the fuck off. That's not Jean, and anything less than Jean couldn't contain you. She screams and screams and screams and screams and disintegrates into ashes. That's the end of the Red Queen. Yes. But then Brian Wood in X-Men Volume 4 clearly didn't understand that. Which, yes. to be fair to Brian Wood, which is not something I typically say nope. on this podcast about <laughs> sex pest Brian Wood. No, no. Who is A, a sex pest. B, wrote a terrible run of X-Men comics. Real shitbag. I get why he didn't get it. Sure. In the Archaea storyline, go back to the Jubilee episode, or I guess Celine, <laughs> I don't know. I've covered this a couple of times now, and I'm certainly not going to do it again. Yeah. The new Sisterhood of Evil Mutants resurrects Celine and Madeline. <laughs> the lesbians. This is Madeline's khakis era. I will say the design for Madeline in the first Sisterhood arc, like quote unquote Madeline the Red Queen, with the updo and the fur coat. Mm -hmm. It's a very good design, but it annoys the shit out of me because a bun is not Madeline Pryor. And again, their hair is very important. The updo is Black Queen Jean from Dark Phoenix yeah. Saga. The look is not right. It's not right. It's a good outfit. It's not a Maddie outfit. It's not a Maddie outfit. Then this, when she resurrects, this design is a Chris Anka design, and I love Chris Anka's redesigns for the most part. This one's a miss for me. I like the top. Yeah. I like the latex top with the titty cut out and the jewel. I hate the updo because, again, that's not Madeline. Doesn't and make the sense. khaki pants are horrendous. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? 
what are you doing? Like the closest that Madeline ever got to this was the flight suit. And the flight suit looks fine as hell. Was green, was and not khaki great. pants. Yeah. And it was sexy. Yeah, hot as hell. That was the whole point. So anyway. You know what? What's there to say <laughs> about this arc? One thing that's <laughs> fucked up is like Brian Wood has them use a dead Latina girl's body and like rewrite it genetically into a copy of Jean and then Aye. put Madeline in it. Okay, and thank God yeah. she dies in Hellions because if we are to assume this is the real Madeline, which I guess we have to because we don't want the Red Queen to be back. Right. Then that's fucked up. So thank God that's not true anymore. Yeah. Because, like, now she's in an actual Jean Husk or whatever after Hellions. <laughs> yeah. The funniest thing is basically Arkea resurrects Celine and Madeline to serve in her sisterhood. And then Storm and Rachel and everybody show up. There's a lot of queer people in this room. To be like, we hate Arkea. Yeah. <laughs> Celine and Madeline look at each other and Storm is like, Celine, Maddie. You can leave and we can settle this up later unless you really feel loyal to Arkea. And they just look at each other again. They're like, all right, we're out. And they just walk away and the X-Men fuck Arkea's shit up. Yeah. And it's very funny. <laughs> they never appear again because Brian Wood didn't stay on the title for much longer. And that's fine. And then was revealed as a sex pest. Yeah. So... The next time that we see Madeline Pryor is in 2020 in Hellions. And I'm not counting certain like... There's so much with her. There's like little cameo flashbacks yeah. and things she's in. In 2010, she's in Marvel's Eye of the Camera, which is part of the Marvel's like Alex Ross series. Yes. But that's because that issue is... Because Marvel's, for people who are not familiar, recreates yes. events that are iconic in Marvel lore from the perspective of civilians and specifically this one reporter, that issue is the X-Men dying in Dallas. So Maddie's in that. She pops up in Earth X for a hot second. She is like, in Earth X for a hot second. But it sucks because like, I just don't think that the team liked the X-Men that much because like no. every time they pop up. It's bad. Wolverine is like with Jean and they're in like a shitty marriage, like all Archie Bunker style or whatever. And then like at the end, like she's like, I'm not Jean, I'm Madeline. And like, he's like, no. Oh! And then there's <laughs> another Madeline in, Dennis Hopeless's stuff. Right. This is the alternate Madeline who is introduced in Secret Wars. Yeah. In Secret Wars Inferno, which is a world where the Inferno never ended. Yeah. <laughs> and she's funny. She yeah. has like little Cable who is somehow techno-organic anyway, yep. even though none of that happened. And he's really funny and she's really funny and Havoc is like her bitch boy and it's yes. a funny miniseries. At the end of that and after Mr. Sinister beats the shit out of her in Hickman's Secret Wars. She's in a bad mood and she shows up in X-Men Blue where she ensorcels young Hank McCoy because this is in the 05 or time traveling right. into becoming her apprentice in Dark Sorcery and of there's course. all this other stuff. But that's not 
616 Madeline. It's a different yeah. Madeline. So yeah. don't worry about There's her either. all of these like little blips and flashes all around, but not until like 2020 does she come back for real. And then in 2020, she comes back for real in Hellions 2 because the Hellions, the Krakoan squad, comprising Alex and Kanon and a bunch of misfits. And Alex is counted among the misfits because after several completely insane plots over the course of the last 20 years, yeah. Particularly everything that happened while he was written by Rick Remender. Yes. He's not mentally well. Yes. And like, this is the best havoc because it's him being like, please put me in jail. And they're just like, you're the leader of this team. Please imprison <laughs> like, me so I can't hurt anyone. And they're like, no, we're going to assign you and Conan to lead this team. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like, please, God, let this It end. turns out, of course, that that's all a master plan yes. by Emma Frost. But we don't find that out until later on. Yes. Their first mission is to go assess the Nebraska foundling home where Mr. Sinister once had his laboratory because there's weird reports. And what they find is that the OG Marauders, because Grey Crow, formerly Scalp Hunter, is one of these Hellions. This is the book that makes him, like, a character people care about now, including me, yes. which is crazy. Yeah. Grey Crow is the only one we've seen on Krakoa, and we find out that that's because the other ones have been turned to zombie slaves in the basement of this orphanage by Madeline Pryor. Madeline goddamn Pryor. <laughs> and when we see her, let oh me God. tell you, I had never met Zeb Wells, and this was how we met, was I tweeted him like, thank you. This, okay, whenever Madeline pops up and she says, do you know that you are unloved? I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. You, you wanna be Alex? To do it. You wanna yes. be Alex? You wanna be yes. Alex? Okay. Yes. I'll be Madeline and Conan because okay, okay. I love Conan as much as I love Betsy. She's fucking great. Any Psylocke fan who's mad about having two Psylocke's no Fuck waiting off. has lost their mind. <laughs> you lost the script. We're in a different world this now. This is the best like... of all possible worlds. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, for sure. I wrote an article before any of this happened with sci-fi where I was just like, the only way out of The only this... way to solve this is like, <laughs> let Conan be Psylocke. You said that, Charles Pulliam Moore said that, oh, so a couple people, people said that. Me. And then Hickman was like, let's just do it. But anyway, Madeline as Havoc and Psylocke confront her says, do you know that you are unloved? Do you know that you are despised? For surely those who sent you knew what I would do to you. And then, of course, Havoc, already losing his damn mind, says, <laughs> Madeline? Madeline! Calm yourself, says Con. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> You're back? When did you come back? Years ago, Alex. And no one cared. Oh my God, Madeline, I love you so goddamn much. So they fight the Marauders for a while. And then yeah. she says, heel slave, you stand between me and my lover about Alex. But Madeline's like obviously very unwell Yeah. right now. A shard of glass like lodges itself in her cheek as she disrupts its prism. Like she shatters him and his like pieces embed into her flesh. And Alex says, Madeline, you're bleeding. Shh. She touches his chin and his mouth disappears. <laughs> you will too. 
The next issue, like Havoc <laughs> has no mouth and must scream. He's going like, yeah. and she says, hush my love and I'll play you a spell. <laughs> Good boy. Now, there once was a girl from the land of the midnight sun, which is Alaska. Mm-hmm. She's playing the piano and we see a series of images. First pilot Madeline, then pregnant Madeline, then the mannequin Madeline from the Claremont Dreamtime sequence we've talked about. Who longed to fondle the sky, but was grounded by the touch of another, your brother, who the girl cherished, who promised to cherish her until his first love returned, his true love, and the girl became a nothing person in a in nowhere, nowhere place. place. Ah! <laughs> Tongue crab. Ah! You're making noise, Alex. I told you to hush. We're all Alex. <laughs> Alex grabs a shard of prism from the ground and cuts his own lips open. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about a boy who wanted the woman his brother had who promises him for everything his brother couldn't. A boy who learns she really loves his brother the whole time. A boy who is beyond fucking sick of hearing her talk about him. My, how you've changed, Alex Summers. This? I can work with. This I can work with. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> And she leaps upon him in a splash page and starts making out with his bloody torn mouth. You know, and isn't this kind of the first time we start to see that Alex is kind of fucking sick of it? Like, I love this. It's so I love good. this whole Hellions arc. It's so good. Yeah. It's like Madeline, as imperfect as she is, and also Havoc, we're just like, oh right like she's kind of been doing that to you <laughs> like a little bit mm -hmm. this whole time and she starts to kind of see him for who he is here and it's kind of wild honestly this i can work with right like oh my god so later when the zombie marauders are doing zombie things yes she's talking to gray crow who she has suspended and is tormenting because he is the one who shot her in the head and stole her baby like famously and then killed that nurse yeah it's impossible to stress to newer readers how vile scalp hunter is in the old material yeah this man and like madeline throws it back in his face a hundred percent like you don't even fucking remember <laughs> like, yeah she says they're hungry you see they will always hunger no matter how much they eat that is the curse i gifted them do you know why and gray crow stares at her silently it's very, very unwise to pretend I don't exist. It's my least favorite thing. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Arclight. Yes, queen. Remove your hand and eat it. Yes, queen. And Arclight starts cutting her own hand off. Greycrow says, I remember you. Hold, slave. See, it's like I don't exist until I start hurting people. Why is that? Yeah. Which is a great line. Fucking true, honestly. Grey Cursor says, maybe, and then she shoves her hand in his mouth, and he goes, huh. you shot me in the head. 
and stole my baby. I went away then. My mind had to find someplace safe, but when I came back, I wasn't... He made us like this. In this lab, me and you. Sending you to kill me, knowing I'll send other yous to kill him. <laughs> I like, I love this. This is somebody who got the assignment, right? Like, Jesus. I'm sorry. It gets funny if you think about it too long, but enough. It's time for you to die. Yes, you must all die in pain. Then they'll see. See that I'm a real girl. Arclight, you may eat now. <laughs> oh my god. Greco is horrified. Yeah. Later, we see Madeline seated on a demonic throne she's yes. made for herself here in Sinister's laboratory. And what is happening other than the most thing that is meant to be in life? There is a Summers kneeling in front of her. Havoc with his torn, ripped, tattered mouth. Tattered the way that her goblin queen regalia is tattered. He's looking up at her crying, and she says about Krakoa, You've built a home for all mutants. All except me. I'm hurt, Alex. They won't see it through the blood and horror, but I'm hurt. You see that I can't let them forget how it wouldn't be fair. And she cradles his face in her hands. You see why I have to take your head and throw it at their feet. <laughs> He's like... A tear coming down his face. Ash Queen. Good. But first we take Sinister's children as he took mine, and with them make a family of monsters. I will birth all his marauders at once, like cutting the belly of a pregnant snake. And with a thousand mutant killers, I will flood your Krakoan gates. The lucky will drown in the blood of the murdered. In the seeping remains of your island, I will leave a footprint. In mutant blood and soil, it will fossilize, scarring this cursed epoch. And then only fools will argue I never existed. But for Scott, your head. And he's crying, but he accepts it. Yeah. That's the thing with this guy, right? He's like, you do deserve to cut my head off and give it to my brother, your ex-husband. He gets it. There is no person who is more sympathetic to Madeline than, than Alex. Alex. So in the next issue, we get the confrontation because she's going to cut his head off shortly and like use it for ritual purposes. Yes. Omaha, Nebraska, 300 feet below ground. You can feel it, can't you? Not hell, but so, so close. Yes, I feel it. The pig Essex built a lamentable thing here, rending reality as he penetrated its depths. And as the depths opened in ways unholy and mad, the shore between earth and hell was scraped away. I can hear them, the demons. Old friends, they talk to me. I think they talk to you too. They want the army I raise, this army with dead minds and souls of void. They want to use them, to fill their bodies and walk this earth and bring hell to my enemies. But there is a price with these things. There is sacrifice. So hungrily gather. A bunch of demonic arms 
manifest and grab Alex and hold him against the wall. They gather to watch our love bleed. You're not scared, are you? No. Hmm. I think the demons call to you, too. I never lost my hold on you, did I? One side of me was all it took to rend your sanity to wet threads. <laughs> sure, Maddie. If that makes you feel better. She pauses and looks at him. No. Your wounded mind, it... It wasn't me. She reaches up and cups his cheek. Who did this to you, Alex? What happened to you, baby? And then Scalp Hunter shoots her through the heart and kills her. So, like, this is, like, sweet, kind of. They're both at their craziest that they've ever been. But the underpinning here is still no one has been more broken by this franchise than Than these two characters characters. and only they understand each other they are both the also ran they are both not scott and gene and because of that they have been tortured from the moment they were introduced yeah i love this like i mean what can one say about hellions other than you blew me away every time other than it's like one of the best runs that marvel has put out this century characters that i was like i don't want to read this whenever they announced hellions i was like no Mm. and then like the second i read it i was like son of a bitch (laughs) i always say like if you told me that one of the most compelling ships on Krakoa would be Scalp Hunter and Revanche. I would be like, And it's what? fucking good. But it fucking rules. It fucking bangs. <laughs> if you told me I'd be this invested in Nanny and the Orphan Maker, I mean, this book like, is just impeccable. No, it is. It is. And like, this is a this is a creative team because I don't want to say just one person on this team. No, Steven Segovia also draws the absolute fuck out of these issues and david curiel's colors ariana mars letters and like all of it just comes together in the most beautiful way yeah havoc screams madeline no and he clutches her and holds her close as she's dying yeah and she says alex the ceremony is broken they're leaving in the end Not even the demons stay. Only you. Only you, Alex. She reaches up, and this is the moment I think is most essential. Yeah. Like Anodyne, or like the moment when she heals the scar on Sebastian Shaw's face in X-Man. Yep. She heals Havoc's mouth Mm -hmm. of what she did to it and restores his face to, like, totally perfect status. That's better. You remember me? Yes? I only wanted them to know that I was a real girl. That I... (sighs) And she dies. And then they go to Krakoa and Scott 
is the one to inform Alex that the Quiet Council has determined that because Madeline's a clone, she's not eligible for resurrection. They just don't want to do that with clones, Alex. It's not really anything personal. Like, we just don't want to do it. Because they actually just don't want to resurrect Madeline, right? Because she's a complication. Well, 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 I mean, like, uh, it's like, uh, because like, you know, because like uh, clones, uh, you know, like. You know, uh, but we'll let Madrox and the separate cuckoos come back. Oh, oh, but like that's like different because like um, you know, um for reasons. And they bring back little Gabby when she gets killed. And Gabby's the first to point that out. <laughs> the council doesn't, but the five make an executive decision. That's when the five unionizes. Yeah. And the five in Vidaiala's New Mutants make a statement to the council that they think people like Madeline Pryor do deserve to be resurrected. Yeah. And Gabby, too, is like, what in the fuck, you guys? In the final issue of Hellions, after Alex has served Emma's purpose and destroyed Sinister's cloning facility in Murder World, read the book. Don't worry yep. about it. Yep. It's a great book. He asks her for the one thing he wants. He's like, Emma, please convince them to bring Madeline back. And in the final scene, Cyclops says to Alex... Even with the relaxed protocols, bringing her back comes with a lot of complications. I'm married to one of them. <clears throat> Just go, Scott. Which is why I'm surprised Emma was able to smooth everything out. What do you mean? Follow me. Madeline? Alex. It's a beautiful splash page of Madeline in her green flight suit yep. looking back over her shoulder at Alex. Yeah. After in the Murder World arc, we've seen Alex's fondest heart's desire, which is just to be with pilot Madeline. Yeah. Madeline, he screams and he embraces her. You're back. Yes, I, I don't know what happened. They said I can stay here. They brought you back. I begged them and I kept begging them. And after what I did, they had to. It's because of me. Because of you. <laughs> Resurrected at the whim of another Summers. N no, that's not it. Were my feelings considered for a moment or did your quivering lip outweigh the whole of my... Maddie? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Lost the forest for the trees there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just glad you're back. Want to grab a drink? We have a lot of catching up to do. That sounds great. Just give me a few minutes. He heads out to give her some space, and she looks in a mirror at the Goblin Queen, and she says, I need to get ready. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Flame! After this, she appears in Vida Ayala's New Mutants, where initially she rejects Alex in a wordless sequence that we get where it's just clear that she's like, there's too much going on. She started wearing her Goblin Queen costume again, which Correct, yeah. is an indicator of her mental state. Yep. She then appears in the final arc of Vida Ayala's New Mutants, which is the Labors of Magic arc. I don't want to go super into this because, I mean, if you have it's things to say about arc, it, I would right? want... Yeah, it's about Ilyana and also, like, I think Vidal is the most talented writer of their generation, probably. Yes. I love everything they did on New Mutants. This arc didn't quite land right with me, and I think it's just because I have very specific opinions on Ilyana Rasputina and Madeline Pryor. I didn't buy Ilyana giving up Limbo, and I didn't buy the idea that it was a good thing for Madeline to take Limbo. That said, it's obviously setting up Dark Web. Yes. So I think it was a functional 
thing. The big thing that we get in this story is that Danny Moonstar is being like very smug about Madeline being evil. Yes. And Madeline is like, okay, but wait, Mr. Sinister is part of your government and you're going to judge me? Yeah. The eugenicist who created me is in your 12 person government. And you think I should be cool with that? And it's fun because it's like, in many ways, what Vita does, what they do bring up is that, first of all, Inferno, as much as we talked about Inferno. Well, it's the first time Ilyana and Madeline have really interacted. And given that they're the, the two pillars of Inferno, that's very satisfying. We talk only very briefly about the Ilyana story because obviously there's a whole Ilyana episode, but it is a parallel story. To me, Limbo is part of Ilyana that I yeah. don't think she can forsake. Sadly, I don't think so, right? By the end of the arc, Ilyana decides she's out. That she, if she's going to move on, needs to let Limbo go. Mm-hmm. And Madeline, who doesn't want to be on Krakoa, is the right person to take over Limbo and become its queen. And it's interesting, too, because the way that she brings it up is her being like, what this place is to you, Krakoa is to me. And you go, oh. Right. Madeline's like, Krakoa symbolizes all of my trauma. And then Ilyana transfers. Again, like, I think it's smart. It's just not what I would do. That's just all that it is. Sure. It's not a knock on Vita, who I think is a true genius. Like a goddamn genius, yeah. Like one of the smartest people and most talented people writing in comics today. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it ends on the Demons of Limbo hailing Madeline <laughs> as their new queen. Give it up! Long live the queen! Madeline just surrounded by these demons. Branding-wise, I understand that Magic has her own brand at this point as, like, this heroic member of the X-Men. Madeline Pryor's brand is the Goblin Queen of Limbo, so I get why it would make sense to make that shift. It also obviously sets up Dark Web. Yes. There are a lot of moments in this arc that I love. I like whenever she's condescending to Madeline and Madeline's like, why don't you step the fuck back on that? And Ilyana just goes like, that's fair. I like all the interactions Madeline has with the other characters. Yeah. My like issue with it was just the thematic of it's good for Ilyana to release Limbo and it's good for Madeline to take Limbo because I disagree with both of those premises, Yeah. I guess. Yeah. What was helpful, and for all I know, that's what Vita was doing on purpose, is that Dark Web says, actually, those were both terrible ideas. Turn the fuck out. We have a further problem here. So Dark Web, for people not familiar, is a storyline that took place starting at the end of 2022, went into the beginning of 2023. It's fun. (laughs) It's super fun. It's the Nightmare Before Christmas with X-Men characters, which is super fun. Yes. It's directed primarily by Zeb Wells and Jerry Duggan. Zeb writes the overarching narrative and then the Spider-Man issues, because he's on Spider-Man by this point. That's why he left Hellions. That's why Hellions ended. And then Jerry is on Dark Web X-Men, which is really the Madeline, like the tight Madeline arc. Yes. This story is just about everything I could have wanted for Maddie. It sets her up. 
like, oh, we're going forward now. We're in a place where we can move forward. Dark Web is the crossover that I accidentally, by bringing up Waiting for the Tea, Max's joke about Maddie Pryor and Ben Riley during my episode with Zeb, predicted. Madeline Pryor hooks up, not hooks up, like literally, they don't actually like have a sexual connection, but like connects with Ben Riley, the clone of Peter Parker who has just been through absolute hell in Spider-Man Beyond and become the villain chasm in exactly the way that Madeline once became the Goblin Queen. Yeah, where we're all like, kind of on your side, Ben. He also has a girlfriend named Janine who is a redhead with a Louise Simonson haircut. And that becomes pretty essential to this arc also. This storyline, which begins in Zeb's Amazing Spider-Man 14, features a Madeline Triumphant in limbo, but also a Madeline who is reflecting on Ilyana's gift of limbo and the X-Men's quote-unquote like gift to her of limbo and wondering now if it's what was the best thing for her. Chasm enters limbo and the demon starts screaming, Imposter clone! An empty husk, an unreal thing! And we see Madeline who plucks a heart-shaped fruit from a tree, like heart-shaped like the organ, not the shape, and says, I've heard it all before. And the demons scream, A nothing person from a nowhere place. Because Zeb did the research. Well, he is imprinted on Inferno the way that I am. Like, he just gets it. Genetic detritus! Hmm? And then she notices Chasm, Ben Riley, and realizes they're talking to him. Not a real boy! Never be real! And he goes, Woo, mind if I grab some shade into this scary-looking tree? I'm kind of new here, getting the lay of the land. Unholy fraud! And then they turn to Madeline and go, Imitation girl! And she says... Is that right? And Ben (laughs) says, hey, is it me or are the locals kind of mean? (laughs) Counterfeit soul! Ouch, that one hit home. (laughs) And Maddie smiles and says, there's no hiding from your demons here. I like it. It keeps me sharp. Forgotten one! Your soul is echo! Your life is void! Ben says, hmm, my demons kind of sound like your demons. That they do. Shh, look. They've found each other. And their individual demons start sniffing and licking each other. (laughs) He says, they're not going to start smooching, are they? Oh, no. They're too similar, like you said. The only thing familiarity breeds is, well, you'll see. No. And then they start (laughs) killing each other. So this is a fun issue overall. And basically, Ben and Janine convince Madeline that she should help them attack New York. And she's like, I've quite enjoyed our mischievous excursions to Earth, but the scale of what you're asking, an attack on New York, is complicated for me politically. And so Ben is like, well, I'll do it. I'll just use your army. I will get you what you want. And Maddie says, I'm the queen of limbo. What could I possibly want? Both of our lives were stolen. Both of us know where the thieves live. What he offers her is the promise that she will get to devour Jean Grey's psyche and her memories the way that Jean once did to her. Yeah. And Madeline has this moment of doubt where she's like, 
was Limbo a gift the X-Men gave me, or was this a way of Ilyana abdicating her responsibility to Limbo and also the X-Men keeping me out of their hair by putting me in another dimension where I would have to take care of things? Mm-hmm. Which valid because i think that's exactly what happened right yeah like 1000 so then there's the moment that i referred to earlier where janine is like really stressed out and maddie comes to her janine says we've been through things you couldn't imagine maddie says i truly doubt that but if envy doesn't redden your face what does helplessness ben's talking about going to war and i'll be damned if i don't go with him but I feel so naked in this place. No weapons, no powers. When the time comes, how will I be anything but a liability? And Madeline smiles and says, <laughs> Oh, Janine, I knew I liked you. Like me, you despise it being at the mercy of forces beyond your control. You'd rather shape your own destiny than play the perpetual victim. What's that? Maddie opens a little box, and inside is a purple finger with a pointed nail. Oh, who could this belong to? A tribute I collected from its owner, the bastard demon Sim. He used it to set me free once. I can do the same for you, but you must ask me to. I don't know. Don't you want to be all of you? What you were, what you are, what you dream of becoming, all of it together like a dream terrible in its power. But you must ask for it. I'm done sitting on the sidelines. Do it. And Madeline shoves Sim's finger into her chest, just as Sim once did to Madeline, and says, just as Sim did, bully for you. Janine is transformed into the new character Hallow's Eve, who currently has her own miniseries going on, written by Erica Schultz. Fan of Cerebro. Shout out to Erica if you're listening. Erica Schultz, we've interviewed twice on Bitches on Comics. Oh, have you? I don't know her. I met her very briefly at New York Comic Con. Is on X23 now. Yes, she's doing the X23 historical miniseries. Yep. Only the first issues come out as we're recording this, but I quite enjoyed it. Mm hmm. And I know, because Erica said so on Twitter, that there is a shout out to the Laura Kinney Cerebro episode somewhere in this miniseries. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And Erica, if you're listening, thank you for being a friend. Hey, and thanks for your great comment. I loved yeah. the first issue. I thought it was great. So I'm yeah. excited to read the rest of it. Yeah, the Bitches on Comics episodes with Erica are really good. So anybody who's a fan of that series, definitely check out everything she has to say with us because we were thrilled to talk to her. I'm now done reading because we've been reading to you for like 10 hours. Ooh, huh. I'm actually, I have one moment of not being done reading, which is that you brought up waiting for the trade max. And there is a very specific screenshot that I took for this episode where Scott and Madeline are sitting down and Madeline is in her incredible yellow outfit. Max is one of the most iconic madeline fans out there yes he'll like tweet sometimes and i was yes. like oh my god senpai noticed me is like very my reaction <laughs> to that yes i've been a fan for years Follow of his this work man. he's, he's so funny he says scott sitting down and then my fiance turned into a bird made out of fire and exploded on the moon and then it pans <laughs> over to madeline who says that seems like a red flag 
but I've got a good feeling about this, so I'm going to go ahead and ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Max. All right. He's I just, so funny. While I was preparing for this episode, he posted, I believe it's like a reshare from back in the day. He posted this like cartoon strip and I was just like, okay, screenshot, bringing it up on the app. All right. Absolutely. So I will have gone over this in the character file, but the way the rest of Dark Web plays out under mostly Jerry with Madeline, but then like Zeb ties it all up at the end, is Madeline's plan is to entrap Jean Grey and absorb her psyche and therefore get all of Jean's memories and revenge herself on Jean for raising Nathan and stealing her life, taking Scott, all of it. Yeah. Jean kind of wakes up to it and is like, Maddie, for God's sake. And there's a splash page <laughs> at the end of one issue where she backhands Maddie across the face. Yeah. And I was like, the Jarbs are going to love this one. <laughs> but I let them have it because the very next issue is all about Jean saying like, Maddie, yeah, you deserve to have this. And I understand Yeah, me having your memories is fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And her just, this whole trajectory of Jean just being like, what can we do for you? you None know? of this is our fault, is what she tries to impress. Yeah. It's actually very akin to what Kanan tells Betsy. Yeah. You can't fix this. You can just ride it with isn't it. isn't to be fixed. It just is. Yeah. Other people did this to us. And while I may feel more aggrieved... I understand that you're also a victim and we need to meet in the middle here because we are bound together forever now and we need to be able to coexist. It's yeah. very similar to that beat that Teeny Howard hit in Excalibur 1920-21. In the same way, I feel satisfied by it. My one thing, I mentioned that Jerry did something I wouldn't have done. I don't believe that Jean would have voted to bring Madeline back. I think that if she does, then the way that she would come to that is after years of guilt, right? Like, it's like we have been years in. I just don't buy her being like, that's why I told the quiet council they should resurrect you. And the reason I don't buy it is twofold. One is that when Scott was explaining to Alex why it was hard, he was like, I'm married to one of the complications, which implies that Jean wasn't in favor. Yeah. The other thing is, in my mind, Jean would have abstained because she knows that her opinion on Madeline would sway too many of the council members. Like if Jean voted yes on Madeline, then Storm, Nightcrawler, Kitty, they all would have voted yes. Yes. But if Jean voted no, then they all would have voted no. And so I think Jean would have recused herself from the conversation because that's a great way of her saying I don't want this but I'm going to not make it my fault if you all vote no well in this story we see Jean actually showing a lot of care for Madeline yes which that's just not what I was expecting what I was expecting was something more like Inferno and more like X-Man where she's like I pity you but I care more about me and what Jerry's chosen to do, and I think that for them as characters and as sisters, this is the best choice. It's just probably not what I would have done because I like the messiness. But to tie it up and have Gene be like, we're family. I don't want you to suffer is probably long term the best choice for both characters. 
And I think too, the way that I view it would be that whenever Cyclops says, I'm married to one of them, that is him scapegoating Gene. Very true, for sure. Because he doesn't want her back. For me, it's like, it does read for Gene to forgive Madeline and to honestly, to truly want the best for Madeline. But... We haven't seen a lot of trajectory towards that, right? Right. Not since the 90s when, like, they interacted a few times in X-Men and Cable, etc. We are having to infer everything. And so because of that, I think that it's very fair for you to say, like, I don't think Gene would do that. I had imagined a scene where Madeline and Gene sit down yes. and have, like, a drink together. Yeah. Hash it the fuck out, you And do. Madeline's like... like I know that you told them not to resurrect me. And Jean goes, actually, I abstained. Actually. And Madeline's like, oh, because that's an easy out. Fuck you. I had this whole dialogue rolling out in my head. And here's the thing. What Jerry did is more economic with page space and makes more sense. Because the ultimate conclusion I would want to reach either way is then Jean offers to share her memories of raising Nathan with Madeline. Because that's the thing. And that's what Jean does. Jean's like, you should have these memories, these 12 years that I spent raising your son. I should give you those because I have your memories of being married to Scott. I have your memories of giving birth to this child. You should have the memories of raising him. And they have a telepathic exchange. And Madeline is so shocked by this display of generosity on Jean's part that she's like, okay, well, I made a very bad decision with my limbo queendom and I'm going to help you stop it. And then she helps them stop Ben and Janine after they betray her and seize her scythe of sorrows. And I really like Ben. So this is like an interesting arc for me because I'm always just like, I love Ben and I don't know how in character he is, but I feel that she's super in character. So I think what Zeb did with this arc, and I, I do think Spider-Man fans are being really fucking harsh on Zeb in a way that sure. is not fair not because you need to see how the arc plays out and zeb is a long game writer yeah and i believe that what zeb does in this arc with madeline is an underlining of what he wants to do with ben in the future but right now ben is in his goblin queen era and you can't do both of them at the same time right like give it a minute that's all i'm saying but i don't believe that ben is being thrown in the trash like maddie was because i don't think zeb would do that but also ben was like before this arc yes and so I think Zeb is giving Ben his Goblin Queen moment so that, like Maddie, he can be reborn from the ashes. Yeah. I wanted to say that I think that Jean would abstain, and the way that I would view of that is 100% because Jean knows that she's all fucked up in a lot of ways and would be like, I really can't. Jean knows she can't be impartial on she that She cannot subject. be impartial, and that, to me, perhaps is right, perhaps it's wrong, but I think that the way that Jean would view it is, is that this is the most ethical choice I can make, is to not make a choice in this situation. And that's why my only objection is that I don't don't think Jean would have advocated for Madeline's resurrection. 
I think she would have let other people decide Good. whether or not it was going to happen. Yeah. But you know what? It works for me, especially because then in Zeb's dark web finale, there's the moment where Scott and Jean defend Madeline and Madeline's like, what's going yeah. on? And Jean looks back and goes, Madeline, of course we're here. You're family. Like. And Madeline makes the funniest facial expression imaginable. Yeah. I forget who the artist is on that issue, but kills it because yeah. Madeline looks at her and is like, touched but also bemused and you also grossed out but also so happy but also repulsed yeah it's an incredibly funny facial expression She's like, you just about fucking everything child and that's like a hundred percent how madeline views the x-men she's like i'm family you could have told me that 40 years ago like we were going through some stuff for a long time and you cannot as much as you do understand, as much as Gene does under fucking, like out of everything, Gene understands. Like that's kind of like Gene's whole thing. She gets it. But as much as Gene on paper gets everything, she can't quite get Maddie because Maddie is the person who is too close, so close and so far away. And yet so far, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I want it for them. I want them to be sisters oh, because Jean lost Sarah. We're doing everything. I think Jean craves a sister. And so does Madeline. Yes. And I think that Jean and Madeline as sisters would be a really fun storyline to explore. Like, can you imagine the one shot that's their road trip? I can because I've outlined it in my Google Docs. I'm like, I just. Dying. <laughs> I'm dying inside. It's like they get these little throwaway moments, right? And like every single time, like I don't, the conclusion of Dark Web is not throwaway, but it's like, no, it's a moment. It's like a little glimpse. It's a moment where you go, oh, like Jean does intend the best and Madeline does be totally baffled by that. She's so confused and that's a fun place for her to be because like you pointed out, Madeline is always ahead of the game. Yes. She's always planning. She's always thinking ahead. And this is so unexpected to her that she's totally on the back foot, which is rare for her. And kind of charmed in a way, like where she's like, she's like touched by it. She's like, really? Okay. All right. I guess we're doing this now. Give me a week. I got to think about that. But yeah. give me a week, you know? Yeah. Where Zeb leaves Maddie and Alex at the end of Dark Web finale is with Maddie establishing an embassy, a limbo embassy in New York City, that which is the funniest great. possible Inferno callback. The evil mailbox is out front calling out, anybody got any mail? And I was Everything. like, I love this for him. I love that he's gainfully employed. I love that the evil <laughs> alive mailbox from Inferno is thriving. He has truly come back. There's a great moment where Alex is like, Maddie, Scott and Jean are here. And she's like, Madeline, when I'm working, please, Alex. <laughs> and it establishes again, like their relationship. They're definitely together. They're working through it. And friend of the pod, Steve Fox, has been making a lot of limbo jokes. And I don't know what he's writing next. I don't know. But if it featured Maddie and Alex, I wouldn't be surprised. And... If there's anyone besides Zeb Wells, who I trust to write Madeline Pryor, it would be my friend Steve Fox. So I'm very excited to see, if I'm right, what happens there. Mm-hmm. X-Men, X-Men.
Hey everybody, we're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about the podcast's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game, every comic fan's dream. In this mobile squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains, like Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor, to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Doctor Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War in the real-time arena. Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their six-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using my unique link available right now in the description of every episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through this anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I for one can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user. Please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike Force so they'll know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. We now return you to the show. X-Men, X-Men. Hi. How are <laughs> you? I'm good. This is an emergency session because mm-hmm. right after <laughs> we finished recording, they announced Dark X-Men. So we need to talk about that really quickly. Dark X-Men premieres in August as part of Fall of X, the upcoming event that threatens to shake mutant kind to its very core. A lot of people are panicked about this event. I don't believe this event is going to actually blow up Krakoa, and I think yeah. people should calm down. Yeah. Conflict is part of story, and that's good. Yeah. I do think it's going to be a rough one. It does seem like it's going to be a rough one. Anything where Xavier is huddled over like a broken man, this is like yeah. the stuff that I personally live for. <laughs> so let's go. It's good stuff. I'm really excited. Dark X-Men is one of the new books spinning out of this event. From the solicits, it seems like the Krakoan gates aren't going to be working at the very least. Like it's not clear what exactly is going on, but something terrible is going to happen at the Hellfire Gala. And it seems like nobody can use the gates or otherwise teleport because in the Realm of X teaser, it mentions that Ilyana's power is on the fritz. The vibe I'm getting is that the mutants will have to flee or that mutants who aren't on Earth are going to get cut off from it or something because most of these books that have been announced, which I assume are event miniseries, but I mean, this book I'd love to read 50 issues of, so who knows? Dark X-Men is written by friend of the pod, Steve Fox, my guest for the North Star episode in season one, the writer on X-Men 92, on the recent X-Men annual spotlighting Firestar, which I thought was great, and on some Infinity comic stories that have been fun. He did the secret X-Men one shot last year, like after the second gala with Monet and the gang as I call them, <laughs> you know, Monet and everybody else who was on the ballot that year. Yeah, it's it's Monet and the rest. Monet et al. 
he's a friend of mine. He's a great writer. And he also is the editor on James Tynan's razor blades. So like horror is a big part of what he does. He and fellow friend of the pod, Steve Orlando collaborated on the gay horror graphic novel party and pray. Right. When I started working on a horror comic, the first person I asked if he would be willing to like take a look at an outline and let me know if he thought it sounded good was Steve Fox. So the idea of him writing this book is very appealing. Dark X-Men previously was the book about Norman Osborn's team of X-Men back in Dark Reign way, way, way a long time ago. Right. (laughs) Emma was the mole within it and it was Namor and Mystique posing as Jean, which was extremely funny because Jean was dead at the time and Mystique (laughs) was just being a fucking bitch. (laughs) Yes, yes. And Cloak and Dagger and Mimic and... Right. Weapon Omega and like God, I forgot Mimic. You're right. That's where the Emma and Namor stuff starts yeah. up. As is the tradition with many titles in the post Hoxpox age, it's being reused in a new way here. In this case, Dark X-Men, The Fall of X book, seems like Hellions Volume 2 to That's me. That's what it looks like. With a more appealing title for retailers. Like we People who are hip to (laughs) Hellions by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia being one of the best Marvel comics of the 21st century would love to buy Hellions Volume 2. But I imagine, much like with S.W.O.R.D. going to X-Men Red, having X-Men in the title never hurts. Never hurts. The cover features Madeline Pryor front and center in her new costume from the Vida Ayala and Rod Race storyline in New Mutants that then persisted into Dark Web. It's similar to the old Goblin Queen costume, but as we've mentioned before, a bit more covered up for merchandising purposes and a little more regal, like she has a tiara and stuff. Looking great. She's reaching out in that sort of classic Jean or Xavier hand stretched outward pose. Emma does it sometimes too. Like the pose that the psychic on an X-Men team does on the cover. Yep. She's flanked by Havoc and Gambit. Okay. (laughs) Above them is Warren in Archangel mode. Yep. To Havoc's right is M-Plate. Monet's evil vampire brother lurking on a tree stump or something like a branch. Unclear exactly what's behind them, but it's like foliage. And in the foreground, looking at us, are Zero from Generation Hope, Albert, the android replica of Wolverine from 90s Larry Hama Wolverine. Good stuff. And Azazel. Go back to last episode, yes. episode 99, 99 with, with Chuck, Chuck Austin, Austin. <laughs> for more on Azazel. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. Steve has been hinting for a while that he was doing something with Maddie. And that was a very exciting idea to me because of all the comics writers going right now who I would want to see write this character. He's probably top of the list. Mm. That's just really exciting to me. Even with those hints, I was fully unprepared for this roster. In that way, it reminds me a lot of the Hellions news drop, which made everyone go, I was like, no, I don't want to see him. Scalp Hunter? Nanny and the Orphan Maker? No. And then like you read the first issue and you're like, ah, you Ah, got me. And by the end of it, I would die for Grey Crow, Nanny, and Peter. I would. Serious, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It was like, it was that exact 
vibe through the whole series where you were like, oh, I didn't realize I was walking into the best X book. Like, oh. So I'm hopeful that this book is, in the spirit of Hellions, going to be about refurbishing these characters, all of whom, apart from Gambit and Warren, who I assume are there for plot reasons because they're pretty major X-Men characters, the rest of the cast are all people who are the less prominent version of another character or the less prestigious version of another. They're seen as knockoffs, let's yeah. say, right? M-Plate is the evil penance who shows up to bother Monet sometimes, but is pretty much entirely an accessory character to her at this point. He used to be a big deal. He was a big deal character in the 90s for like yeah, a Yeah, Generation second. X, yeah. Yeah. Then you've got Alex, obviously, that's what Hellions is largely about, but it's continuing the theme with Alex and Maddie down to Zero from Jen Hope, who is an homage to Akira, the manga and anime, but is often derided as a ripoff of Akira. And I actually think that what Kieran Gillen was doing with that character was a lot more complicated and interesting than that. But we'll get to that in a Zero episode that I probably have to do now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You did it to yourself. <laughs> but he's seen as a knockoff character by some more cynical fans, is, is sure. what I would say. Then you've got Albert, who obviously is literally a duplicate of Wolverine, and not even a clone like Maddie, but a robot duplicate. Yeah. So he's super fun. <laughs> and it adds a layer of is this a real person? Like we've already answered the yeah. is Maddie a real person question, and this asks the next level of that question. Azazel, obviously is evil red nightcrawler and he is probably the most detested character in x-men lore yeah so he's both the deepest cut hellion style pick and totally just a knockoff evil version of an x-man visually and power wise yeah so he's perfect for this book warren is kind of his own evil version here right because he's in death mode yeah Gambit is Gambit. kind of generally nefarious all the time. Yeah, just creeping around corners, holding playing cards. And to be honest, in Rogan Gambit number two, he pushed it pretty far. So Did he? I, I, <laughs> yeah, didn't see he, that. I didn't read that one yet. He uh, he chained a lady up to a, an appliance he set to explode because he knew it would distract Black Panther because Black Panther would need to save the woman. <laughs> okay. I like a sleazy gambit, but I found that a little wild. It's like, whoa. So maybe it's setting up whatever this arc is, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Well, we also, he's been such a kitten for so long that it'll yeah. probably actually be pretty nice to see him. I mean, I'm excited to see him do darker, edgier shit here. We've been told that this book will be spinning out of this year's Pride issue, which is coming out in June. Steve Fox's story in that is about Gimmick, the Afro-Latina lesbian cosplayer Gambit superfan from yeah. Vida Ayala's Children of the Atom, who I really liked. She's she a really fun. fun character, and we haven't seen her since. Steve Fox's Pride story is about her and Gimmick is going to play a role in this book as well. So that's another fun reason to have Gambit in the mix, right? Because mm -hmm. he's the superhero she patterned herself after, and maybe she'll find that he's not quite so nice at the end of the day. He's you know? kind of a jerk, yeah. 
Here's what the press release says. Since 2019's revolutionary House of X and Powers of Ten series, mutant kind has experienced unparalleled growth and prosperity on the island nation Krakoa, but can it really last forever? Following July's X-Men Hellfire Gala number one, mutant kind will enter a thrilling new era of uncertainty, danger, and mystery known as Fall of X. As the X-Men struggle to pull themselves together after their shattering defeat, Madeline Pryor takes charge with her own twisted team in Dark X-Men. Written by Steve Fox, X-Men Annual, and drawn by Jonas Scharf, Avengers of the Wastelands, Dark X-Men will star a squad of X-Men unlike any other you've seen before. Madeline Pryor, Havoc, Archangel, Gambit, Azazel, Zero, Albert, and M-Plate. This deadly group will band together to fill the void left by the X-Men, and are seemingly the perfect team to combat the harsh conditions of Fall of X. Their hearts are in the right place, but under the unpredictable leadership of the Goblin Queen, and operating out of New York's new Limbo Embassy, will this team's dark ways turn the tide for mutant kind, or make things far worse? Following the explosive events of the Hellfire Gala, Madeline Pryor realizes the world needs the X-Men now more than ever. Havoc, Archangel, and Gambit have served on teams before, but never one that looks like this. And how does Gimmick, breakout star of Children of the Atom and 2023's Marvel's Voices Pride, fall under the Goblin Queen's sway? Find out in the most horrific installment of the X-Men saga yet. Picking up Madeline Pryor's journey is a wild and terrifying honor, Fox shared. Maddie's coming into Dark X-Men with a sense of autonomy she's rarely had over her life, but she's doing so during the fall of X. I don't think it's a spoiler to say things aren't happy-go-lucky for anyone in the mutant orbit right now, and that includes tempestuous redheads who've plopped a giant demon castle right off of Central Park. I'm excited for readers to find out how this unlikely cast got summoned under one roof. The ones at Maddie's side by choice, the ones stuck in limbo by circumstances out of their control, and the ones who don't make it out of the first issue alive. And to watch Jonas Scharf unleash a whole new brand of gothic horror action on the Marvel Universe, he added. This is X-Men by way of Evil Dead, and we're not leaving until we burn the whole place to the ground. Dark X-Men number one, written by Steve Fox, art by Jonas Scharf, cover by Steven Segovia, for that Hellions vibe, on sale August 16th. Welcome to the Dark X-Men. Hope the world survives the experience. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. I think that I want to see the Limbo castle explored. Jonas Scharf does great gritty horror-tinged stuff. I yeah. mean, Avengers of the Wastelands obviously has like a lot of Mad Max energy to it. So yep. I think he'll be good at this vibe. I am really excited about it. I am excited to see Maddie and Alex's little team. And oh I love God. that they're not even pretending that Alex is a co-leader. I know. It's really cute. Because he would be, he, we've seen it. We know he's a bad We've seen leader. it. <laughs> it's a no. No Polaris. is also an answer. That's fine. <laughs> Polaris had to do it. <laughs> Always. Yeah, X Factor is in its entirety, right? But I digress. I think that this is going to be a really cool book. We don't know anything else about it. The bottom line is, Zalagang, if you would like to see more Maddie Pryor stories in the future, a great way to send that memo to Marvel Comics is to pre-order Dark X-Men at your local comic shop. Pre-order it. I have already done so. Yeah! I'm just, I can't believe we're here is the thing like uh, she's in what? comics again like and a good lead, like a, <laughs> a character they think can headline a book yeah yeah it's, it's like we're seeing a return of what maddie originally was as far as like what her potential was yeah it's like obviously 
we just talked about all the stuff that happened. Like there's been a bunch, but that's the thing is, is like, she's kind of come through all this stuff. And now it's like, let's get her back. Let's get her back in a way that she wasn't before. Because even whenever we were talking about the pre-Inferno stuff, it's like two pages at a time per issue. She's going to be in every page almost of this comic, I bet. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It really speaks highly of where the character's at now. Because if you look at the other characters in this line who've been chosen to headline a book in this way, there's Scott and Jean. Yeah. Various Wolverines. Yeah. Betsy Braddock. Kate Pride. Yeah beast like these are really big characters yeah to have maddie Pryor be someone who should take center stage for a team book yep because in the x-men world it's very rare to get a solo right yeah but a team book usually has one or two focal characters yeah it's kind of awesome for it to be a team book right i like it because we we've talked so much about how she needs friends yeah and we need to get reacquainted yeah. And I think she's going to be friends with all these people. No. But maybe some of them. I mean, it would be yeah. fun to see her and Gambit interacting. She knew Rogue really well. Yeah. Back in the day. And Gambit's married to Rogue. And she's never met Gambit. Like, there's yeah. all kinds of fun things you could do. I mean, she and Warren, obviously. Yep. I was going to say. I texted Steve Fox. I was like, I know you can't tell me anything, but if you disrupt my complex Warren Scott Candy Maddie double date head cannons. <laughs> I will be furious. <laughs> and he said, I think you're safe. And I was like, okay, good. Yeah. I'm just psyched. Great writer, great artist, great premise, great vibe for a Fall of X title. Great follow-up to Dark Web as far as just like the theme of how we're kind of trucking along with her. It seems like she's on a good trajectory right now. And a great follow-up to Hellions, which yeah. is a vibe that's been missed in yeah. the line. Like, Sabretooth has had a little bit of that, yeah. including some of the characters. And it's very funny in places, but it's also very heavy Yeah, most of the time. So I think Evil Dead is exactly the note to hit with this. And I love hearing yeah. that as a comp title. <laughs> Evil Dead 2, hopefully. That one's my favorite. That one's my favorite, too. It's the best one. It's the Taste. best one. <laughs> Dead by Dawn. <laughs> Was not expecting and am thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Like, literally, that was like a tickling a baby or something. Like, you did that. And I was like, <laughs> you just fully, like, full body giggles. I loved it. So, that's our emergency broadcast about Dark X Men. I'm super excited. You should be too. I hope you have enjoyed the Madeline Pryor extravaganza 100th episode of Cerebro because this will be coming toward the end of it. I'm in the middle of the edit right now. I've edited about 10 hours of raw audio. Yeah. No, actually, let me rephrase. I've edited like almost 12 hours of raw audio, but I've cut it down to 10 hours of complete audio. And to be very clear, there's a lot after that. <laughs> I would say I have about eight more hours of raw audio to process. Yeah, I love it whenever we were like, oh, X-Men, we won't talk about that long. <laughs> and we did, right? Yeah, no, I've cut a couple moments of us saying shit like that because I was like, no. What's the turns point? Out, turns out. <laughs> We will. It turns out that we will <laughs> if you give if you give us a nickel and you let us go on about X-Men, it's forever. Turns out if you give a mouse a cookie, <laughs> we ate this thing up no crumbs is the thing. Like <laughs> I am very proud of us. I've really been enjoying the edit yeah. and editing is my least favorite part of doing this show and this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's 20 total hours of raw audio. Yeah. 
but it's been a total treat because we're having so much fun and it's fun to listen back to it. Yeah. I hope that this magnum opus of Cerebro is pleasing you, the listener at home, because it's been a joy to make it. And as we said a couple times, we are never doing this again. (laughs) (laughs) Never, 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 ever, ever. And I know that I say stuff like that a lot, but this was truly a one-off. This will never happen again. I can't imagine like what other character. Nope. Don't even go down that road. Let's not go down that road. road. Let's not go down that road. Point is, I don't regret it. And I'm so thrilled that this exists, but uh, this drove both of us dangerously insane. Yeah, there was definitely a day where I was like, I'll have a beer while we record. And then I was like, oh, six beers gone. (laughs) I was like, oh, wait, we got drunk, drunk. I'm going to bed. (laughs) Anyway, that's us. Connor Goldsmith and Sarah Century signing off. We will now return you to... Cerebro episode 100, Madeline Pryor, already in progress. <laughs> I think probably right before the Q&A. Yeah, we love the Q&A. <laughs> we love the Q&A and you're about to hear it. X-Men, X-Men. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men. Madeline, we have journeyed so far with you. Madeline, we made it all the way. We're I... here now. We have made it to where Madeline is right at the second. Madeline. And you know what? It may have taken like 15 hours. I don't know. I'm not counting the full raw audio at this point. Yeah. But I'm proud of us. Oh, I mean, Connor, I'm proud of you. Like, give me a break. This podcast, like you've gone 100 episodes from such- Sarah. Like, thank you the beginning days like i mean we've i've been here you know like it's just been a journey and i feel like i like i have literally never talked to spencer ever right spencer ackerman but <laughs> but we talk about each other in episodes yes of so it's like you have right i refer to him as my friend because i know That's whenever so we talk we'll be friends but it's like because of this podcast well if enough people subscribe to the patreon patreon.com slash rebrocast People ask me, what's your dream for this podcast? I'm like, well, I'd love to write for Marvel in DC. Obviously, I would love that. Yeah. But the community that I have accidentally forged with this podcast means so much to me if I had the money. And right now, babies, I work in publishing. I'm making more money off this podcast than I am on my day job. You are living in LA right now, and that is not cheap. But LA is better than New York. I'm paying half as much. Like, that's crazy. Like, Like, if LA is the cheaper option, right? No, like, uh, serious. The economy is out of control. I work in the arts. Point is, patreon.com slash rubricast, $5 a month. But I would love at some point to stage some kind of gathering of the Zala gang and have everybody meet each other. I think that'll be super fun. That would be incredibly fun. Oh my God. But for now. Yes. Congratulations. You made it to a hundred episodes. Like, I mean, perfect, incredible, iconic, legendary, like Madeline (laughs) Pryor would be proud, right? Like Madeline Pryor would be like my son. (laughs) Thank you. She is mother. Truly mother. Thank you, Sarah. I think you have been one of the most essential workers in my making this podcast a big deal because that Candy Southern episode, Fucking owns. it went viral. <laughs> yeah. Roy Thomas was asked about it. That's yeah. how viral our Candy Southern episode went. Yeah. 
And he was like, oh, wow, did they never bring her back or whatever? He like hadn't paid attention to anything that had happened to her after 1967. I'm very grateful. And getting to know you and other guests on this show has been the most blissful, wonderful thing about doing this show. So yep. thank you for being a friend. There's a Golden Girls live performance that came with a mug that said, thank you for being a cunt. <laughs> People say, thank you for being a friend. And my automatic response is, thank you for being a cunt. I know that that sounds Thank really you for shitty. being a cunt. <laughs> Travel down the road good. and back a gun. Your heart is true. You're Earth a pal and a confidant. Thank you for being a cunt. Yes. Thank you, Connor, for being a cunt. I try, I strive to be a cunt in the positive queer sense all the time. Here we are. Cheers. Part of what I value so much about the episodes you do is I love having just like a fucking dyke on my podcast. <laughs> and I'm just like, check this out. What about some dyke shit? And like, what about some dyke shit? Who's scissoring? Are we going to do it? And I'm like, yes. And I'm honestly very always thrilled whenever I'm just like, this is gay. And you're just like, but first you said it. I didn't have yeah, to. Yeah, like, be no, you tell me. Like... Tell me more. <laughs> I've never touched a vagina. What's going on? I was born via C-section. Sometimes I need a little insight. Sorry, mom, that I just revealed your C-section business. No, she'll tell you because she was in labor for 18 hours. And they were like, his head's too big. Yep. And she was like, really? No. And they were like, we got to do a C-section. And so they did a C-section. I was born at 1.41 a.m. And my mother was like drugged out at that point because you're doing a C-section. You're on like yep. serious drugs i start crying because i've been born and my mother turns to the nurse and says who on earth would let a baby be up at this hour <laughs> and the nurse says what a one-liner mrs goldsmith that's your baby <laughs> oh <laughs> Okay, I love everything about this story. I will say March 14th is a magical day. I think March 23rd is also a magical day. We have many creatives, many incredible people. I have met so many of my best friends, the kindest people in the world that were born on Lady March Gaga 14th. is a March Aries, so I always like trust a March Aries. It's a very specific energy. Mariah Carey. <laughs> there is some very powerful March Aries where I'm like, and as a March Pisces, we're crazier than February Pisces. So yes. like, that's a thing that astrologers talk about and for the people listening i know astrology is not real but neither are fucking taxes and neither right, no, none of it's real like we government. all like, <laughs> everything's a social construct fuck it anyway yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna go take a piss and then we're gonna get into questions from listeners questions like you from listeners like you my friends x-men x-men <laughs> stay tuned we'll be right back x-men x-men in the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is 